does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. Now, see, now, this is fun is what this is. Kids love this. We're, the, I'm telling you right now, our, like, now granted, they're all in school right now, so we don't have, I don't have the luxury of people driving kids to school in the morning. But when they hear that, kids are going to flock to this program. They might wonder why Jimmy's wearing sunglasses, but they're going to flock to this show. Right? Surely you mean kids that are now in nursing homes, right? Is that what you mean? No? Because that's from like 1962? <laughs> How about that from Eddie Garrison to lead off the show of Query and Company? Big day yesterday of all kinds of... We had a mass hiring yesterday. I mean, a mass hiring at Query and Company. Not like the mass hiring that might be taking place, by the way, after the Radio 1 Martin University Career Fair supported by Quest Diagnostics. That's going to be on September 20th from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. where you can get your foot in the door, have your resume reviewed by HR professionals, and get a free headshot all September 20th from 10 to 4. All the information on our website at 1075thefan.com. But yesterday... I mean, I had HR people reaching out, promotional people, logistics people, salespeople, beer vendors, all wanting to be part of the company of Query and Company. Now, I was thrilled by it. I, I, what, what we need now, the only requirement to work for the Query and Company is you have to go on the YouTube page six times throughout the course of the day and click on it like you're watching. I want to try to, to beat the other shows on the YouTube view. I'm very neurotic about this. Neurotic or competitive? Well, both. Thank you, Eddie. I, I am pretty competitive, actually. I don't like sh- like when I played basketball. I was a jerk, but I'm privately competitive. How's that? Okay. Now, uh, Jimmy, I can tell you're competitive because, and we're going to get the explanation on the sunglasses here. I'm sure you're dying to let us know. Yeah. But but I have actually something that I'm going to present to you. All right. Now this takes the situation of last night's NFL kickoff. And turns the attention to me, but that's what I do best. I make things as you know as they relate to me, right? I worked at this radio station, not this radio station. Sorry, I worked for um, the previous owner, who I love. I mean, they were great to me. Emmis, when it was WIBC, was under Emmis, and so I worked at our sister station, WIBC, in two thousand seven and two thousand eight. In two thousand eight, I was part of a layoff at that station. That happens in the business. Um, it obviously kept good relationships with everybody because ultimately I, I found my way back home. But when that happened, um, I can't, I was laid off in the, in the fall and shortly thereafter, I was going to just as I am this weekend, an IndyCar finale in the Bay area. And at that time it was San Francisco. Now we go into Monterey, which is just South of San Francisco, but um, we would always go to Pier 39 in San Francisco, which is the big tourist area. Sure. And they have a huge sporting goods store there. And I walked in and I'm like, I'm going to buy a hat. I always buy a hat for like to wear on the plane and whatever else. I'm going to buy a hat. Does it have to be based for the city that you're in when you no. go hat hunting? Or a- just excellent a question. Hat? Nick Yeoman and I used to have a rule with each other. We'd go into the store and we'd say, okay, I'm picking a school. You pick a school, a random school. And if that school is actually, if my school is actually available, Nick had to buy me a hat from that school. I always went with Wyoming. He always went with, I think like San Jose State, okay. and neither one of them were ever available. 
But I went in and I'm looking at the hats and I thought, you know what? I just got laid off. I'm still doing the IndyCar thing, but I'm for the most part going to, you know, entering the world of unemployment. So I'm starting kind of at the bottom, building my way back up. And at that time, they either had just come off of or were just starting out. I can't remember how recent it had been, but there was a team that had gone winless in the NFL. And I thought, those guys need a fan. Those guys need a fan. And my year was the same as theirs. I had the same year they had. I'm entering into the vast frontier of unemployment and unknown circumstances, and they're entering into an offseason or starting a new season or whatever it was, coming off an 0-16 mark. And I wore this hat proudly for years. Now, I'm not giving it to you. Oh, thank you. But I'm letting you wear it for the first two segments of this program. Oh, that's very kind of you. It's the kind of guy I am. Thanks. (laughs) That is, Jimmy, would you like to let everybody know? It's been a little bit banged up. It's been washed, so don't worry about that. That is a hat representing the 1-0 Detroit Lions. I feel obligated to, so I'm going to. Do you remember at the end of the show last night, and I'm not saying this to say like, see, I told you so, although I'm doing that. Um, I, I don't read a lot into that. I mean, it was, hey, listen, that was a great win for the Detroit Lions, and it was a fun game, and if you don't have a rooting interest, it was a great game to watch. I really did think, and I commend you for putting the hat on. Um, Just need someone now in the YouTube chat to screenshot this and uh, put it on, on Twitter. Yep. That way everyone can see that Jimmy is changing his fandom. I'm a good sport. Uh, oh, well, you didn't even make a wager. That's No, I didn't. I didn't. But Here you go. Look right here. <laughs> okay, so what's with the sunglasses? What I was going to say is, Did you have too much I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be overly concerned about that game, Jimmy, to be no. honest with you. I think no. Detroit's pretty good. And, you know, Kansas City didn't have, obviously, their main weapon. And it's not like Mahomes didn't play well. They'll be fine. Uh, sunglasses. Super Bowl hangover last night. Fucking out all the haters. Su- 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 Super Bowl hangover. So we had the uh, Sunnies on last night. No, I'm not. Look, I'm not worried. Sunnies, he went with. I did go with the Sunnies. Going the straight British term I, of Sunnies. I feel okay breaking out the Sunnies because apparently Andy Reid refers to Nuggets as Nuggies, or at least he did within the State Farm commercial if you pay attention to any of those last night. Uh, no, I'm not worried about Kansas City. Uh, I'm very infuriated at Kadarius Tony. And a little bit of Sky Moore, but mainly Tony, because he gave away or impacted 10 points in that game that maybe shifts things Kansas City's way. But Mahomes looked great. I don't have a problem with him. I do want to apologize to uh, one individual, and that is Travis Kelsey, because I came in here yesterday rather confident that they would be fine without him. And it's not to say they can't still win some games without him if need be, but I think that's a totally different ballgame if he's out there. The only other takeaway I have from last night, outside of hats off to the Lions, uh, they are as, at least one weekend, right? Small sample size, as good as what the hype was about to start the year. I told you I thought it was a one-score game, but I thought Kansas City would still win. Chris Jones did not have a good night last night. Doesn't mean they don't need him, but I'm not. my reaction today is not, oh my gosh, they need to go pay Chris Jones right now. That defense played better than I expected. Just someone catch the ball, please. Please. Here, here's here was my take from last night. Um, there are teams. It doesn't happen all the time. It, it's never a guarantee. But there are teams that eventually take on the personality of their coach. And sometimes when coaches come in with a gruff, almost dare I say, meathead type bravada, it. 
it comes off boorish. It comes off like you are trying to make up for your own insecurity or inexperience. In the last, there's so much to be said about winning the press conference. You got to win the press conference. Man, I can't wait to see so-and-so. If, if, if they hire so-and-so, that would be a home run. They would win the press conference. In the last 15 years of the NFL, what two coaches' press conferences upon their introductory hire are the two that were the most mocked, most tweeted, most memed, and most made fun of? I mean, there are only two that I can recall that have lasting quotes that were mocked. Dan Campbell is at the top of that list for me. Number one. Biting off kneecaps. and Number one. The other one you probably don't recall because it wasn't as big a deal. Last 20 years? Last three years. Hmm. I assume that coach is now gone? No. Oh. People were like, this guy is wetting himself. This is embarrassing. I couldn't watch it. I had to stare at the floor. What is he talking about? He's talking about like potting plants and watering seeds and blooming flowers and what in the world who in the hell is nick saranai who is this guy that philadelphia (laughs) hired and why is he giving me a botany lesson yeah yep but pj fleck P.J. Fleck gets to Western Michigan and comes out with this video about row the boat and we're going to do this and we're going to play a bell. I mean, it was the most embarrassing video ever and everybody made fun of it. But you know what? His team totally bought into it. Then I felt bad because we made fun of the P.J. Fleck row the boat thing for like a year (laughs) and then had him on a radio show I did and I asked him about it and he's like, well... I just remember when my wife was pregnant and we were told that we were going to lose our baby and the doctor said, you know, the only thing you can really do is just, you know, I know you like to canoe, so you just got to continue to row the boat. And I'm like, okay, well, I won't make fun of that anymore. But his team totally bought into, now I don't know that you could say that about him at Minnesota, but at Western Michigan for sure. Dan, the long-winded point I'm making here, Dan Campbell's team has taken on his personality. They're gritty. They're tough. they, They got a little swag about them. And they don't care. They don't care. They're like, we're the Detroit Lions. We don't care. Like, there's a there's a soccer club in England called Millwall. You ever heard of Millwall, Jimmy? You're a soccer guy. I don't think I've heard of Millwall, no. I don't know anything about soccer, except for I watched Ted Lasso, and I played it for the at the YMCA when I was two, in second grade. It's good enough um, for me. And there's a club in England called Millwall, and their team slogan is, no one likes us, we don't care. And I'm like, that's my team right there. Now, they've been relegated, but I'm on board on Millwall. And ironically enough, Millwall, or coincidentally enough, actually, Millwall's logo is a lion, and their colors are blue and silver. But the Detroit Lions, man, they don't care. Yeah, our highlight was for like five seconds taking the lead over Chicago on Thanksgiving Day in like 1980, and then to start off overtime, the Bears return to kick off 92 yards to beat us. Uh, We don't care. The best player, the, the best two players in our franchise history, both retired while in their prime because they were so sick of having to drive out to Pontiac. We don't care. We're the Detroit Lions. We don't care. We're going to go in there. And, and I thought for sure, Jimmy, for sure. I even texted somebody. Somebody sent me a text. They're like, "Hey, you were right. Like they're kind of hanging around." And I'm like, "But he, you can see this coming down Broadway. It's I, I can't remember what the score was. If it was 
was it 20 to 13, 20 to, it was 2014, right? And I'm like, Kansas City's going to go down and score and take the lead and then give the ball back to Mahomes with two and a half to go and Mahomes is going to take him right down the field and win the game. I mean, you've seen it a hundred yep. times. But it was interesting because it was Kansas City that was shooting themselves in the foot yes. as much as De- Detroit. But Detroit, give them credit. They had a tenacity about it, but it's one week. It would be unfair for me to sit here. And yes, I, I can blame Kadarius Tony on the wide open drops. Like if he catches that ball on their last drive, they're in field goal range with two minutes and change to play and they can kill the clock and go win that on a buckered field goal. But the tenacity and that level of intensity from Detroit's defense was present throughout that game. They made like difficult for Kansas city throughout and yeah, it, it, there's nothing to knock away from Detroit. It would be unfair to lions fans and to the Detroit lions as a team to sit here and say, ah, it was the chiefs that really outdid themselves that game. No, they, they got outplayed for a large part of that ball game. Hats off to Dan Campbell. Hats off to the lions. Never had anything against them. Uh, hats Garner on, John- actually. Hats on today. Uh, Garter Johnson, you know. No, wait a minute. You, you can't wear the hat backwards. I wore it front for the first screenshot. The, the people on the YouTube chat need to see that you're wearing And you know what, Jimmy? Actually, I'll, I'll tell you what. You can wear it backwards, and I'll tell you why. Because you didn't have to wear it. I didn't. I just was giving it to you as a joke. Sure, I know. I'm probably it's, only going to wear it for a segment and then hand it back to you and be, be that, done. That's like that hat. Did you have a hat in college that like you wore every day? Like everybody had that. I mean, I can still tell you. Um, all of my buddies, I, I know what team their hat was. You know, like really? they wore the same hat. <laughs> I had a buddy had a Red Sox hat that he wore every day. My buddy Mike Byron had a Red Sox hat, uh, went to a party, had a little too much to drink, threw up at it. Ooh. Wash it and put it on the next day? Or of was course. It a- <laughs> it's probably never been cleaner after that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it was a Chiefs hat for me, shockingly. So okay. I understand. Eddie, what was your hat in college? Ooh. You look like a guy that wears like an eight and a quarter. No, uh, I was eight and three eighths. Eight and three eighths. There's no way your head is an eight and three. Who do you, Barry Bond? Yeah, I've got a large dome. I mean, you do I have a, a lot large more hair. melon, but I did have a I did have a lot more hair too. Eight and three eighths. Awesome. That's HGH Eddie Garrison over there on the <laughs> yeah, thanks. The CEO of the company. He's we have rapid We don't have now. an HR department yet though at the company here. So you, no? as the CEO, you don't have to undergo any testing. Correct. Yep. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, who, who's your hat? Uh, I'd probably, I'd bounce between like an Indy 500 yearly hat, um, a Colts hat, uh, pretty much those. Wow. Pretty local. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, no, I was insane. I had hats like every team. I, I Steady rotation. Um, now but, I also did not live on campus, so I didn't, I took, I had to take a shower pretty much every day when I went to school. I so I didn't wear hats often. That is a, definitely a factor for sure. Because that's the beauty of college, right? Yes. Um, you know, you get up, class starts, bed. class starts at 12, you get up at 11. Put the hat my, on, your are how things have changed. Um, <laughs> in the NFL, we see this a lot. You know, you always have, like, when it starts getting blustery out and it's that, you know, dark at four in the afternoon, Sunday AFC divisional or championship game. One of those teams that's in, to use a college basketball phrase, the final four of the NFL season. There's always one that like week one was a storyline for them. You know, I can hear Chris Collinsworth now. I can hear Kirk Herbstreet now. I can hear Troy Aikman now. In AFC championship or divisional weekend saying, 
think back to week one when such and such happened or so and so was hurt or so and so made this penalty and they've they they've been flawless ever since they're just there is no college football probably to an extent is this way but there just is no week that is more conditioned for the random pop-up win than week one in the NFL. And the inevitable knee-jerk overreaction that happens nationally. And Detroit is good. I mean, I think Detroit is going to be a good team. But, you know, there have been so many teams over the years, and I can go on the way back to teams that I covered. You know, the year that Manning had the Bursa, and and they started out slow and everybody's like, oh my gosh, like they are in trouble. And then he put it together and ends up tying McNair for MVP. And they won like eight of their last nine games or whatever it was. And, you know, the year that the Bucks came off of their Super Bowl win and they started out 4-0 and and it was like, this team is not going to lose between the defense and Simeon Rice and, you know, Derek Brooks and Warwick Dunn on offense and Kenny McCardell. I mean, and lo and behold, the Colts go in there and pull off the Monday Night Miracle and it broke them. And they they I, they limped. And I covered the Rams when the Rams got out to a six and zero start and were st- scoring ten thousand points. They go to Kansas City, they lose, and Trent Green gets or Kurt Warner gets hurt, and Trent Green goes in and it turned their season. There's just so much that goes into it, so you can't overreact, but. You can still react. And I would say to me, Jimmy, that that game told me more about the Detroit Lions than it did the Kansas City Chiefs because I think Kansas City is going to be fine. They look fine, I thought. Yeah, like I said, the offense as a whole does not look broken. And this is a it's a loser's mentality answer. I get it. But like, are they really going to drop that many passes all year? Like, I'd, I'd be very surprised if that receiving core... If that's the trend, if that is the trend for them this year, then yeah, they're not going to be a good football team and they're going to struggle. But that's something to hang the hat on. Mahomes looked his usual self. There's nothing to be upset about with Kansas City. And like I said, the defense played better than I could have expected with Chris Jones out. I will say, though, what stinks about it for me as a Chiefs fan is it's nine days till the next one like that. That that was that's my takeaway from a fan emotion standpoint is okay. I got to sit with this for nine days to have them have an opportunity to respond and make good. I think they will, but that's the gap. They got Jacksonville. They got Jacksonville on the road that again, that's not going to be an easy one either, but you have Kelsey back in theory in 10 days time. I think they can beat the Jaguars, but I think it'll be a good game much like last night was because Heavy is the head that wears the crown. There's good teams on the schedule. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Indeed. Or, in Eddie's case, uh, heavy is the head with hat or not because he wears an eight and five eighths, right? <laughs> I didn't say five. I said three. <laughs> oh, sorry. Eight and three eighths to eight and five eighths. The difference is negligible, my friend. That's a quarter of an inch. Come on now. The There's... hat I wore yesterday was seven and an eighth. Do we have a tape measure? I doubt it. Wait, hold on. It may be seven and three eighths. Yeah, that that probably is more realistic. I have to check. Unless you're Herman Munster, <laughs> I would have to check. I think it's seven and three eighths. Like Barry Bonds went from a five and a half to an eight and three eighths in the course of his career. Well, we all know why he did, but that's what I'm saying. You better. As a matter of fact, can we get anybody in the company? Yesterday we had fabulous hires in the company. <laughs> can we get anybody who might be a drug screener? 
What do you think? Is that San- part of the HR department? Well, Sandra Jones started out the uh, the show by saying that she could be the company nurse. I don't know if that would be incorporated within that. So really? how often did you go see Biogenesis? Could you just tell me that? <laughs> could you answer that for me? That's right. Yeah, I was seven and three. Eight. Were you a big eight. A-Rod fan? <laughs> no, I hated that dude. Hated really? him. Yeah. I hate anyone who cheats. Okay. Especially in the game of baseball. Eddie's a man of integrity. Yep. So you don't like Barry Bonds? Nope. Mark McGuire? Uh, no. Sammy Sosa? Who's your team? Oh. Reds. Pete Rose? Different, but indifferent on him because I mean, he's not really cheating. Time. But it, yeah, and then it's before my time. Ken Griffey? You're not sure? I, I loved Griffey as a player. You think he was Royden? That's a good question. Maybe not when he was with Cincinnati. I don't, actually, and I think that's why he was always hurt. Like yeah, that would make sense. He would have bounced back from injury much faster had he been juiced, I would believe, right? Yeah, you would think so. Like Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins, for example, when he got busted for PED usage, um, he said it was for injury recovery. Totally. So it makes sense. Uh, Jimmy, what was the plan last night in terms of your, your big party, your celebration, your kickoff, your... You had hot dogs, right? We did. We had we had uh, chili chiefs dogs with the. Uh, I don't know if I can start this. This is the thing, and if it's stealing too much from for the brand, I realize it afterwards. So that's not what I was trying to do. But I put a hashtag for the company at the end of it. We can get more creative and make it more unique a, than that. That's why I retweeted. But it. Uh, but I, I figured that was part of the reason why you retweeted it. We had we had chili dogs. We had tater tots. Um, Where was the chili from? I saw somebody ask that question on the Xbox um, last night, but you didn't reply. Bob at home. It was homemade chili, so I don't... Nice. Straight, no straight from the cooks. Uh, Bob always leaves beans on the side when it's us, because I'm not a big beans guy, nor is my nephews, but if it was just him making it and, hey, eat it or leave, it would have beans in the chili. Yeah. Did not have it last night. I'm with Bob on that. You Delicious know, the, as always. That, that was I the make, highlight of the night because the Chiefs lost. The when dogs. I make my chili, I'm like the Detroit Lions last night. Hold on. You, I don't you care. You don't cook. You so you're not making the chili. Well, <laughs> when it comes out of the can from SpaghettiOs, it is true this. I have made chili before, um, but I have never prepared a meal. Other than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and whatever else, I have never like gotten a, a recipe, opened the oven. I haven't, as a matter of fact, I have an oven and it's not, it's not like even plugged in. A stove and oven, it's not even plugged in. So... <laughs> Um, the producer for IndyCar, Sam Rumsa, stays at my place when I go on the road because he lives out of town and he produces here. So he stays yeah. at my place, watches the watches Boo. And I came back and there was a frozen pizza in the freezer. And I'm like, hey, was that your pizza? And he's like, yeah, but the, I did not have to turn on the oven. I'm like, oh, I forgot. It's <laughs> it's actually not plugged in because it's never – I told him, I go, I'll, I'll figure out how to start it, but – black smoke may roll out of it because it's, I don't know if it's ever been cleaned because it's never been used. I know that everybody's very concerned about this, but just because I don't want to misrese- misrepresent any views from the Cook family, my nephew Al writes in, he likes the beans. So it's okay. not everybody, but just a, a handful of them. See? So. Is Al in the company? How old's Al? Al is... He's your nephew. How old is he? I'm, I'm sorry, Al, if you're listening now, I've let you down. He I mean, is younger? No, older. He's north of 30. Okay. Well, then Al's not part of our intern program. No, we're no. thinking about starting up. The, the company needs interns. By the way, speaking of college... 88. How old's 88? 35? 1988. Well, it depends on when he was born. Uh, August. Then yes. August 8th. 8, 35, 8, 8, 8, 8, 35 years old. Al, I didn't let you down. Let's go. 8888. I remember that day perfectly. Yep. I was a freshman in high school. I remember it like it was yesterday. Actually, No, I was a sophomore. I remember it like it was yesterday. Big party? 
No, but I remember in Spanish class writing 8888 on the board, or as we said, uh, Ocho, 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 or whatever 8 is. Is 8 Ocho, is that right? I know that because of Ocho Cinco. I feel like 88 is not just Ocho, Ocho, right? There's got to be... What's that? I feel, I feel like I'm going deep into the high school language of well, counting, yes, but a, there's, there's a different correct. frame structure That's for how correct. you would say 88. That's correct, but that was a long time ago. Sure. You can't. But speaking of school, we're going to go back to it from the college ranks. Ted Karras, head coach, Marion University. They are sixth in the land. They have a top 15 matchup coming up in their home opener, and we'll talk about it with them next. Their head coach, Ted Karras. Every once in a while, and this is my goal for the company of Querying Company. Yesterday, we had mass hires amongst our listeners that have joined the company. Thank you for those who said they're part of it. I just want Jimmy to be able to walk around in public and have somebody come up and go, you know what? I'm part of the company. I believe in the company, so I think that's going to happen. <laughs> you believe in the mission, which we haven't come up with yet? Exactly. Yep. Sometimes companies are so good that people leave, go do something else, and they say, you know what? Home is home, and they go back to the company, right? Which is exactly the case with our next guest, Jimmy. Indeed it is. Joining us now, head coach of the Marion Knights, one Ted Karras Jr. Coach, how we doing on Friday? Doing good on Friday, Jake and Jimmy. Fired up to be uh, with you guys today. Let's begin with this. Um, you guys, obviously, your home opener, and you know, I know what kind of program, obviously, I think everybody knows now what kind of program has been built at Marion. So the expectations are maybe different than they were in the preseason, you know, five, six years ago or when the program first began. But for your home opener, which is going to be, by the way, coming up tomorrow, and this is going to take place against St. Xavier, who is 13th in the country, 6 o'clock start, 6.05, technically the kick. You guys come in at 6, they're 13th. I guess you just decided, let's go big to start at home anyway, right? Yeah, that's what we got to do. I mean, that was said by the league, but I have a, have a deep history with St. Xavier. I actually coached with Coach Feminist there, helped him get to the first ever playoffs, believe it or not, back in 2002. I got my master's from there. Uh, the, the, the long history is that we've only won really about five games. They won about ten, so they're a well-coached, big-time team, and, and we got a big test ahead of us tomorrow night. You know, initially, Coach, when Marion, and this is what I loved about it, you know, Mary and I think for people that want to go and watch, especially people with kids that want to go watch a college football game, but it's close and, and, you know, right here in the city itself. And for the most part, you're seeing local kids. I mean, these are kids for the most part playing for you. I say kids, young men that are playing for you that are from the area. Now, that was probably the case when you were first building the program. But as it's become a nationally known program and a championship level program, does that mean now that you have kids from a wider net that are playing for you and that you're going to get big moments from than you did say when you were first here at Marion? Well, we always started you guys locally, you know, in Indiana and Indianapolis, you know, specific, but you know, right from the get go, I mean, I hit Florida and Jersey hard. So we had a lot of kids from there. Uh, Marion university had the biggest out of state uh, class from the state of Ohio and having my son on the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, helps that a little bit too. Um, so yeah, no, we, we, we have a national uh, scope and, uh, but we'll, our base will always be Indiana and, and we'll always look, you know, nationwide for quality top student athletes. Coach, I know you were at Wabash in between, but your first Marion win since 2012 comes against the Judson Eagles last weekend, a 40 to six victory. Take us through that, what it meant for you to, to get a win back in the column in your debut or return re-debut, if you will, for the Marion Knights. Sure, it meant a lot, you guys. You know, anytime going on the road is an adventure. Uh, the guys traveled well. Um, and then we, you know, really 
you know, took care of business in all three phases of the game. You know, offense ran for 334 yards, held the ball for 40 minutes, 525 yards of total offense. Defense did their job, gave up six points. We had block kicks, special teams for a touchdown. Everyone really rallied together. You know, the first time really going to battle with everyone, too, coaching, staff, players, and I couldn't be more proud of them uh, going up to Chicago and getting that W. Coach, when you are looking at a team, and I, college always fascinates me because you're rotating your roster every four years, obviously, right? So right. do you find, as a coach, and you've been at different stops, you're, you know, you're at another stop, you're back at Marion, do you have to adjust every couple of years your style based on the players that you were able to acquire and accumulate through recruiting? Or is it more important to just say, this is my style, I'm recruiting specifically to this, and that's all I'm going to take? How much flexibility from a coaching schematic standpoint is necessary? I'm flexible. I improvise and adapt on a daily basis. That's a great question. Even in like some of my practice style with my current team, you know, I've I, I've changed a little bit, you know. We're going to go helmet Tuesdays now. We're going to go, you know, pads on Wednesday, Thursdays. I was a full pad guy, you know, all the time. And, you know, times have changed. And and I think the biggest thing as a coach that you have to, you know, really improvise and adapt and, and get the feel for your team in that year and in that moment uh, to, to get the best possible outcomes. Do you also have to, from a psychological standpoint, this is what would fascinate me about being a coach, in particular in football where you've got – you know, a, a large number of young men. Do you have to kind of find out individually how what each player responds to and, and how you motivate individually each player's? Or is it more of this is my, like, psychological approach and they either buy in or they don't? No, I think I think you got to try to hit everyone individually. You got to strike a chord as a leader of a big organization. I have a bigger than normal football team, 147 guys as we stand today. So I think it's my job to make sure as the head coach, I'm striking a chord, you know, a positive chord with everyone in the organization. And yes, guys are different and it's really a balancing act. Um, but I really enjoy doing that. It's quite a challenge. Coach, how is the game, if at all, changed since your last stint at Marion? Just a game of football? Yeah, like, like are, yeah, the, that, the process of, of, of retention of the roster, how, if at all, has, has things changed for you prior to this second stand at Marion? Oh, a lot of change just around campus, just on the logistics of, you know, we have a locker room in one area, a coach's office in another. We have meeting rooms throughout the, you know, campus. That's changed a little bit when we were all centralized before. As far as the game of football, I don't think the game of football has changed that much. Maybe how you have to practice now changes. You know, I, I look at my, I, I, you know, we're having a big football alumni day t- tomorrow. So any alums out there, 3 o'clock the tailgate starts. But when I show the, the current team, the double sessions in the training camp we had back 10 and the one we have now, wow, it's markedly different. I got 25 practices in, mostly full padded in those two weeks. This year we had six. Um, so that's changed, but you got to adapt to the times. Coach, when I look at it and I look at Marion, and by the way, for folks that are unfamiliar, Marion football, again, tomorrow night, home opener, 6.05 right there um, at Marion, just obviously off of Cold Springs Road, and 
Tickets are just uh, 10 bucks. I mean, a, a bargain at like three times the price, right? To come out and see college football, see a lot of local products that are playing, and a school that's going to be nationally competitive all year, ranked sixth right now, MUKnights.com, where you can get tickets. That's MU from Marion University, Knights.com. For you, coach, personally, uh, with the ranking, with the return, would you say there's more pressure on you or more pressure on your son as a center who now has to protect a quarterback in Joe Burrow that's making $55 million a year? <laughs> Um, I'd probably say, um, my son, but, um, <laughs> but pressure, you know, dealing with pressure is just how you handle it. There's pressure in, in all facets of life. It's just how you handle it. And, you know, you know, being here and, and having done it before, you know, I have a certain calm about me. I just want to, I just want to get my guys in the best position, you know, so that they could taste, you know, the ultimate victory of a national champion. We're not going to be consumed by the end result right now. We're having fun living in the moment and, and doing the things necessary to try to be the best we can be. What message would you give, Coach? You know, listen, your son is an NFL starting center. For those that are unfamiliar with the Cincinnati Bengals, we've had him on the program. He's done a lot for people here in Indianapolis and an indie product. But, you know, you come from a great football family, for sure. And mm-hmm. there's obviously a ton of work that goes into that. But the you know genetics are probably part of it, to be fair. But for people who are listening who have a young person that aspires to be a competitive football or even athlete at the college level in any area, what's the thing that you think is most often overlooked in terms of what can get someone there aside from simply going out and getting the best coach and working after school for an hour every day? I think, well, one, to get there, you got to have your grades in college and in, and in high school to get to the college level, high school to college. That's a big one. For the young, young athletes, one thing that my son really took to heart, you know, at a young age was doing push-ups, sit-ups, stretches, and jump rope. You don't need a trainer. You don't need a gym. You just need yourself and a rope. And I remember one time I came home uh, from coaching. Ted was probably around, I don't know, 10, 11, I said, hey, man, you get your, your push-ups in today? And he looked at me and said, no. And I said, well, hey, someone's going to take your scholarship. And he never missed the game again. So little things like that that kids can do on their own, I think, at a young age are, are really important. And then another thing as they get older, being able to, you know, be multiple in, in, in positions that you can play. A big thing that's helped Ted in the NFL is that he can play three interior line positions. And he didn't always have that. He was a guard, he, senior year at Illinois. He, you know, he worked as a line coach and learned center, and that made him a you know valuable piece to some teams in the NFL. When you look at the university itself, coach uh, Ted Karras is our guest. He's the head football coach at Marion University. Home opener tomorrow um, out at Marion, six oh five kickoff. When, when you look at the university itself and the growth of that university. Um, you know, everything from the nursing school now to, to the, the campus itself and its continued expansion and growth, it seems to be kind of side-by-side side with the football program. How important for a school like Marion are athletics just to kind of put – because I know that there's always, Coach, understandably, some people that are like, they spend too much money on sports at these schools. But from a branding standpoint, it seems like Marion is the classic example under Steve Downing's guide, guidance of the, the athletic department – of a university and athletics kind of having the symbiotic relationship that that evolved the growth of both. How important has it been there? Oh, extremely important. And I say all the time, you know, you know, back when Marion started football, not everyone was maybe on board with it. But President Elzer had a vision, 
you know, to increase male enrollment, we could check that box to increase exposure. We can, you know, check that box and then campus vibrancy. This campus is vibrant. And I think football success early on when it was Marion College, transition to Marion University, maybe gave the school confidence to other big things like have a medical school. And now we have an engineering school, you guys, and we have new buildings. And it's just been fascinating to see, you know, his vision back then, which I didn't get to, t- you know, take part in, you know, as much. We helped him with the football wise and to see the growth over the last 10 years has been absolutely fascinating and great to see. What brought you back? What was the number one thing that you said, you know what, I, I am going to go back for a second tenure. I'm just up for. I was up for a new challenge. That was it. That was it. I mean, the job opened up. I'm a man. Of, yeah, I like adventure. I like challenges. You need challenges time around, like you said. You know, yeah, it's been established. So it's way different than when I started, and uh, I just wanted to see what uh, we could put together and and take on this challenge. Well, what's the challenge this time around? Because you know, you started a program, right? Like you basically. You started it from scratch, and then you come back later, and it's St. Elmo. So what's the challenge now? <laughs> well, the challenge is to ultimately win another national title. I mean, that, that's it. So, you know, that's a hard challenge, but it's a it's a, it, it, it's one that, you know, the staff and, and the players are working towards. And, and not only that, though, but you know, like I said earlier, you know, having fun in the process and doing it and, and also mentoring these, you know, young student athletes. That's another thing, you know, as I was out for a few years, you know, the mentor part, you know, on, on all sides of things, not only athletically, but academically, spiritually, all that kind of stuff, which maybe when I was a younger coach, uh, I, I did, but probably not as much as now. And um, those are some of the things. It's a script that writes itself tomorrow. Sixth ranked Marion, 13th ranked St. X, both undefeated alumni day at St. Vincent Field. Coach, we'll let you yeah. get out of here, but best of luck to you and the Knights. And hopefully we talk a little bit more down the road. That sounds good, fellas. Yeah, we're the only show in town tomorrow night. And always remember this, the freaks, the true freaks come out at night. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Houdini, baby. The freaks yes, come out is. at night. That's right. 605 kick out at St. Vincent Field. Uh, again, 3200 Cold Spring Road for Marion University. Um, Jimmy, in terms of, by the way, do you know Houdini? The freaks come out at night's a great song, by the way. I, the, I know the song, yes. The freaks come out at night. That's a good song. Um, you know, that that's a program that, like when I was in high school, I mean, I knew of Marion and I knew of the connection between Marion and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and that being the, you know, the basically the residences for all the founding fathers of the Speedway. But now Marion, I mean, when you pass by there, I mean, it's like, holy cow. I mean, it's impressive. It's a vibrant, beautiful campus, totally. the transformation that's totally. been there. Yeah, it's impressive for sure. Uh, how about Joe Burrow, by the way, 55 million a year. Now, I was thinking about this when I saw yesterday that he got the extension, five years, 275, 219 guaranteed. And then, and, and I'm always unsure of this because then, you know, you think to yourself, that's massive money. It's not NBA money, but it's massive money. And okay, so who then is like the next in line? Who's going to surpass it? And I'm trying to think from quarterback standpoint because I can't recall. Did Josh Allen resign already? Yes, Josh Allen's on an extension already, and Mahomes is as well. Yep, right. Um, I mean, who who's the next? In, uh, there's got to be somebody obvious I'm missing out. Hertz on, right? was extended already. That happened the year. So before was Herbert, last. right? Right. Yep. Herbert's been extended. That happened this off season. Um, I, uh, Lawrence. Yeah, Lawrence would be next in line. Can you imagine? I mean, if he continues to, I mean, he hasn't Justin gone Fields. play the way he has. 
That's a dangerous one because he liked Trevor Lawrence, but more so him because Lawrence did it last season. It's going to be based on the body of work of what happens this year. Because I think if he hits the open market, that would be very interesting to see it play out from a contract standpoint. If they let Fields go because they are so bad that they would take Caleb Williams a year from now, would a team be willing to spend resetting the market or new record high type money for a guy like Justin Fields? You don't have to do that. You could pay him less than that. But I think it was important for Burrow and his representation to be the highest paid player annually in NFL history. By the way, what does one do with $55 million a year? Oh, I can give you a <laughs> call up. Uh, like, no offense to Cincinnati, but like, where are you spending that money within? You call up Jalen Brown of the Celtics and ask what he does with the 62 he's making. <laughs> well, he's not making it yet. I he's certainly not learning how to dribble with his left hand. That's NBA's, for sure. Well, he's, that's what he got. He just signed $62 million uh, a year. Yeah, I know. Extension, though, and it's NBA's guaranteed money, right? Well, I guess 219 is guaranteed for Burr. Yeah. Uh, I, Eddie, I can give you. Here's the thing of that $55 million, and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination trying to say that the, it's not ridiculous i mean he'll right. probably get what like 20 million of that, that that's it i mean once you go through taxes agents you know everything else that goes into it um it probably is 20 to 25 but can you imagine every two weeks just check you're like oh it's midnight let me check oh okay cool i just got another 3.7 million dollars dropped into my direct deposit and want to go get a lambo being, what's that? Anybody want to go get a Lambo? Yeah, I got this exactly. check. Let's Maybe go. Maybe he'll finally get his own house Lambo, and not live with his parents. Lambo, you can get the car and the stadium. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Good call there, Eddie. That's why you're the CEO of the company. By the way, would like to say hi to Eric Ping from West Virginia. You know, West Virginia, the only state with multiple panhandles in the United States. Do you know that? I know now. I guess you can kind of say Texas, but... Maybe it's three. West Virginia's got three, but I know they have at least two. Uh, Jake, Eric Ping here from West Virginia. I'm very excited to be part of the company. I'm 46, but more than willing to take an entry-level position. I admire that. That's hard work and determination right there. Do we need a secretary like at the front desk or security guard or something like that? I I think yesterday several people said that they could do security. We had one guy that said that he runs... um, He's a police officer for a university here in town. Maybe Marion. Maybe he's going to be at 605 tomorrow night at St. Vincent Field to watch the game. Well, it's good because considering how much we're expanding, we're going to need multiple wings of security. It's good that we're getting multiple applicants. Well, and of course, needless to say, I would say that the company's going to need security to keep out the throngs of fans. Yeah. Only problem is the only fans we have are actually in the company. <laughs> That's the problem. It's a catch-22 <laughs> with the model. We, we, we've got 128 listeners, and all 128 now have been hired, right? <laughs> No, you did turn someone down yesterday. What's that? You did turn someone down yesterday. Several people mentioned that they'd like to do human resources, uh, HR. And and my experience has always just been that when HR calls you, nothing good's going down, right? Either they want you to redo your insurance, which takes forever, or you're getting laid off. So I think for right now, we're going to be okay. Now, but here's the thing, though. I'm willing to run the company without an HR department, but I want no funny business. That's the problem. See, the HR department, I need to make sure that everybody's being treated fairly. The HR department is there for you. <laughs> there to protect you. So so we think, right? Hey, all we need to do is change the entire culture of HR and occasionally that have now, them call people in for fun announcements so that way people aren't that's not associating bad. straight with dread. So now our, our, our the company mission now is Query and Company, where we're putting the fun in HR. Yep. Right? Yeah. Okay. HR works for you. Is that what you said? I think so. Okay. HR there for you. probably is on hold for me right now, as a matter of fact. That's the way things work. Last night, could you not admit to this, Jimmy, 
you're watching the game, and it was it was cool. It was a great game. It was fun. Um, served up to the billing, but I'm not sitting here saying that I'm like totally on board with them. But the Lions uniforms are pretty sweet. Yes, I agree. I mean, and as I was watching it, I'm like, you know what? I'd, I I would like to see them do well for this fact. Is there been any franchise more abysmal than the Detroit Lions? No. Arguably in all of pro sports. I mean, it is absurd. Especially if you just... Like I said, they're... Put it the last 30 years. Yeah. I mean, the, the two answer. best players in franchise in, in franchise history both were like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> well, you have like five years left in your deal. Yeah, I know. I'm good. I'm going to go hang out and go to the mall. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the NFL, as a matter of fact. Charles, Mc, uh, Charles McDonald, excuse me, Yahoo Sports, national writer, NFL, joins us next. Death, taxes, week one overreactions. We only have one game that's been played to this point. But a full slate on a blue Friday to look forward to. Help us get ready for it. Joining us now, Charles McDonald covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. Been on the program a number of times. You can follow him on Twitter at 4Verts. Charles, how goes your Friday before the rest of the week one slate? Oh, it's great. We got to watch... uh... Pretty good game today. It's nice outside. I live here in Brooklyn. The sun's beaming. I feel like uh, everything's kind of feeling right for once. You know, after a long summer with no football, we are right back in the action. You know, that game last night to me, Charles, and by the way, Brooklyn's fabulous. Um, That game last night to me, I don't know that there's really an overreaction to be had. I think we thought going into it, Detroit was going to be pretty good. And I liked how Detroit kind of took on the Dan Campbell mentality, like – they were just kind of like nasty. like They were loose and ready to go, right? And Kansas City, I thought, looked okay. Obviously, they had a lot of offensive errors and a couple of self-inflicted errors. But they're, you know, they're missing a big weapon. And Mahomes, I thought, looked in rhythm. So overall, if I was a fan base of either club, obviously I'm happy if I'm Detroit, I wouldn't be over panicky if I'm Kansas City. But what say you? No, I'm not panicking at all. If I, if I got Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> there's no reason to panic. Um but, but, you know, I, I think the good thing you saw last night for your Chiefs fam is Mahomes is still that guy. I mean, a number of the throws that didn't get connected, like there were chances to make plays on the ball, um, especially, you know, some of those plays by Kadarius Tony and, and Sky Moore. That was pretty bad. Um, I, I guess if I, if I was concerned, you know, or if there was a spot to be concerned as a Chiefs fan, um, you haven't really been able to develop a receiver, it, it seems like, over the past couple of years. I mean, you had Tyree Kill. Um, who obviously was a huge hit for them. Nico Hardman was a nice gadget player. But outside of that, they haven't really been able to find that guy on the outside, outside of Travis Kelsey, which is you know, something that they're going to have to figure out as, as Kelsey you know, kind of moves into the back nine of his career. Um, and, and I think it's, it's concerning because it's not like the Detroit Lions, their secondary is full of world beaters. You know, this is one of the worst defenses in the league last year. And I know they made some improvements, but it's still not – an insurmountable unit by any means. But the fact that they, there was a lot of times where you're watching on the broadcast view and Mahomes is just looking, 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 waiting for someone to, to get open, that's, that's kind of a troublesome sign because, um, to me, that shows you somehow built a supporting cast that not even Patrick Mahomes can lift up from time to time, which is a, a little bit difficult to do. Um, and I, I think they might have a little bit of issues on the tackle front too. But there, there's only so much you can worry when you have Patrick Mahomes. You're going to get Travis Kelsey back. But the one thing they need to do is figure out this Chris Jones deal because um, I, I think when you go back to the end of the game, there's a lot of people 
in the moment where it's like, well, why the heck is Andy Reid going for it on fourth and 25? Well, because they might not get the ball back, which they didn't, because the, uh, the Chiefs, they couldn't stop the run at like the most pivotal points in the game. Uh, and it, it kind of showed, wow, this defense needs Chris Jones. And even with Mahomes, they still kind of need some of their playmakers back. Let's shift to what's going to take place here over the weekend. Jacksonville coming in, taking on the Colts. I'll begin with the Jags. It seems as though Jacksonville is kind of entering into an area because of the rebuild of two in the AFC South and perhaps the slide back of another in Tennessee in the AFC South and Jacksonville emerging that the pastures are awfully green for the Jags themselves and they could you know, own the division for a while here. Is that giving Jacksonville too much credit? No, they have the best quarterback in the division and a guy who can be one of the best in the NFL if he continues to hit his ceiling. I mean, we've, we started to see like the, the Trevor Lawrence renaissance towards the end of last season, right, with the Baltimore and Dallas games and even some of the stuff he did in the playoff, bouncing back from that terrible first half he had against the Chargers, kind of going blow for blow at Mahomes at times in that uh, the Chiefs game. So, I think as long as you got Trevor Lawrence, you got you brought Calvin Ridley in, and I think that that last preseason performance from Ridley um, and Lawrence is really encouraging. Just the the chemistry that they've been able to put together, the accuracy that Lawrence is showing, and that Calvin still looks like he's in shape as uh, a guy who hasn't played a, a regular season football game in almost two years. So um, it, I, I think it's coming together for them. The defense is still a bit of a question mark to me. I, I, I worry about their pass rush. I worry about. Uh, some of their secondary guys outside of Tyson Campbell. Um, so I, I don't think it's a, a done deal by any means, but you got Trevor Lawrence, you got Calvin Ridley, and not only do you have those guys, but out, outside of Ridley, you have a pretty good uh, supporting cast with guys like Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, Travis Etienne, the offensive line solid. I mean, this should be one of the better offenses in the NFL this year. Charles McDonald with us, covers the NFL at large for Yahoo Sports. Charles, after the big payday reportedly for Joe Burrow yesterday, is Trevor Lawrence next in line in your mind when you're looking around the league? Yeah, probably. I, I, I guess maybe they're a year – well, because this is year three for him, right? So I, I guess him. you're uh, – yeah, so you're, you're, you're getting close to the to that, that benchmark. Um, and, man, these quarterback contracts are getting crazy. I mean, I remember, you know, what, 10 years ago – but Cam Newton got that five-year, $100 million contract from the Panthers, the people were like, whoa, that's crazy. What's going on here? <laughs> I remember now, when Manning got $48 million and we thought the world was coming to an end. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? Now, five years, $275 million, $220 million guaranteed. Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine Trevor Lawrence is up next on, on that pay scale. Um, and really, you know, I guess he's kind of one of the last guys that you feel like you need to pay. I'm just running through my mind. They haven't gotten paid yet. You know, we'll see what happens with Tua, um, if he can stay healthy, if the Dolphins feel like they need to make, you know, a, a near $300 million investment into their quarterback uh, position uh, with what the contract's going to be at that point. But, yeah, Trevor Lawrence has to be the next one. Um, but I do kind of wonder if we're going to get to a point where, you know, and I, I think the Dolphins will be an interesting t- uh, test case for it where maybe you, you pass on giving the guy that money and try to beef up other areas of your roster and draft another quarterback. Um, because no matter how much the cap goes up, you know, a contract taking up that much of the cap space is always going to be big. I think it's going to be interesting to see if there's any teams that you know pass on that idea moving forward. If you had to predict, Charles McDonald of Yahoo, if you had to look into a crystal ball in four years, whatever it may be, five years, 
are we talking about a massive payday, can't-miss contract for Anthony Richardson with Indianapolis? I'll say yes. I think he's good, man. Um, I, I, I saw it. I thought pretty highly of him during the draft process. I thought some of the, the criticisms about uh, the way he operated as a quarterback were a little little overstated. Um, the thing about that Florida offense, and look, we saw the versus Utah last week without him. Uh, and, and this team is supposed to be, at least from the skill spot, better than they were last year because they have more experience. Um, we are bringing back a lot of the same guys. You know, that that's a really difficult offense to play in. When you're talking about a, a program that's still rebuilding, not only is like the talent a little bit subpar, but they're throwing the ball down the field, especially when they had Anthony Richardson last year. I think they scaled it back a little bit last week for Graham Mertz, but um, with Richardson, he really did carry a lot of that offense. And I thought it kind of prepared him for what he's going to see um, this season to a degree. And honestly, you know, this is a better supporting cast than he played with last year. So I really like him. I know the stats profile wasn't great. I know there's times where you, you wish he would play a little bit better, but I think his floor is a lot higher than people give him credit for. And obviously the ceiling is just, you know, it, it kind of feels unlimited with what he can do as a thrower and a runner. So I'm, I'm, I'm in on Anthony Richardson. I think that that's going to be an exciting thing to watch him develop this year. Um, and I, I think that even his presence without Jonathan Taylor still gives you a chance to have a pretty good rushing game. When you see that Florida, you know, it was kind of illuminated the fact that there wasn't a great offensive base around Anthony Richardson at Florida. I, I guess that segues Charles into this. Does he have any help at all in Indianapolis? I know Pittman's a good player, but it just feels like the Colts are really shy on depth at any area to get any stability this year at all. No, they are. That, that's I think that's a fair fair assessment. I mean, what last week there was a point where they had three receivers on the roster, and obviously you know that that that's not going to stick going into the regular season. There's going to be guys that get added and they tinker with their roster, but it goes to show they don't have a lot of depth on offense right now. And I think that that's the scary part for um, his rookie year. But I also think the Colts, in a way, you can be a little bit optimistic at at, at some spots, especially along the offensive line, right, where you can kind of bank on, all right, well, we've seen these guys up front play well in the past. Hopefully they can get back to their form. And if they do, like that by itself is a big plus um, for trying to get Anthony Richardson in and trying to develop him as quickly as he possibly can so you can start getting back into winning the division and, and being a real player in the AFC. You know, I, I thought it was a good pick for them just with the setup that they have up front. If those guys can bounce back, but the skill position is a, it's a little bleak. Like you, you, you got Michael Pittman. You're going to need Alex Pierce to take a step up, and obviously those backup running backs are going to have to play a big role uh, for them early on as they try to, you know, just get some offensive production going while Richardson learns the ropes. Because uh, I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to put, uh, you know, high expectations on any rookie quarterback. It's a really hard position to play. I don't think having a, a poor rookie season is super indicative of what you're going to do moving forward. But uh, you still got to go out there and do it. And I think that he's he's kind of walking in with one hand tied behind his back. Jaguars are favored by four and a half as it stands. It's been a decade since the Colts have won a season opener. For that streak to come to an end, the Colts will need to do what against Jacksonville? Um, I'll go with rush the passer. I, I think you're going to have to knock Trevor Lawrence off the spot. You know, just just kind of keep him from getting in rhythm because once he gets in rhythm, like we saw at the back end of last season, he is just deadly. Um, and I think that's that's probably going to be you know when you, when you look at the Colts cornerback room, you're going up against Calvin Ridley and Christian Kirk. I think their best bet is probably just to disrupt the passer up front because I'm not sure I have a whole lot of faith in those guys in the back end being able to keep all health and breaking loose. 
We talked about this yesterday, Charles. There's always a team every year. There's some NFL team that, you know, around early November, you're sitting around with your buddies and you're doing like a pick em league or whatever, and you're like, yeah, I've picked against this team every week, and I guess at this point I've got to accept they might actually be decent. They might actually be good. And nobody saw it coming. Who's that going to be this year? Um, I don't know if it's nobody saw it coming, but I'll go with the Commanders. I I, I, I I was in a spot where I feel like a lot of people were here where where I was you know sitting looking at this team this summer where there's just so much crap going on off the field that I've forgotten that there's like a real team that plays actual football games behind like the Dan Snyder mess that we've seen um, that has really been the only notable thing about this organization over the past few years. But now that you have that removed, it, it's kind of easier to focus on what they actually have going for them. And this is a pretty talented team. I mean, their defensive line is filled with studs. Um, and you're looking at a spot where Chase Young is, is probably your fourth best defensive lineman. And when he's healthy, he's still pretty good. John Allen, Ron Payne, Montez Sweat, they got guys at safety and a couple guys at cornerback. But what really moves me about this team is their offensive skill position players. Um, I, I, it ain't Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, but uh, having uh, Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dobson, that's nothing to sneeze at. But I think we saw earlier this preseason as it progressed that Dobson looks like a guy who might be a little overqualified to be a, a pure number two receiver, but this is a situation that he's in, and it's going to make life easier for Sam Howell. So you look at those two guys at wide receiver, even someone like Diami Brown as your wide receiver three who's capable in his own right. Um, Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson are running back. The Austin Devine's okay. You know, they still have some work to do up there, but I think it's passable. So, hey, look, if Sam, Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy can kind of come in and, and coordinate this thing and have, you know, a productive year in their own right, they have the pieces to maybe not win the NFC East because I don't think they're better than Dallas or Philadelphia, but definitely play spoiler and, and have a chance to, to be in the playoff hunt by the end of the season. Charles McDonald with us covers the NFL for Yahoo Sports. Charles, I've always felt like that offensive linemen move early. I've always felt like they they do anything they can to get a little bit of an extra edge to do their best to protect their quarterback. But what Juwan Taylor did last night, I would like to even acknowledge the broadcast certainly was, was egregious at best in terms of the amount of space he was willing to jump early to be able to get a little extra separation. Eventually it got called, but... Do you envision what happened last night leading to a point of emphasis this year from officials, or is it just a one-off thing on a national broadcast as that's something that Taylor's kind of done his whole career? Well, look, you know how this is going to go. The NFL, they're going to talk to the refs. They're going to talk to NBC and say, cut it out. <laughs> stop, stop talking about our referees in that manner. But, look, I'll, I'll be honest with you guys. I played defensive line growing up, so – I have long thought that this is an overdue thing that uh, needs to be examined and needs to be looked at. Let's change the rule, all right? Get your ass on the line of scrimmage so it doesn't look like you're playing H-back next to the right guard. And, you know, if, if you've got to cheat to to try and block Aiden Hutchinson, which he absolutely needed those extra steps. If you watched him in the game, like he was kind of getting his butt kicked off the edge. You know, well, then do it after the snap. You're, you know, don't don't start – two yards off the ball where everyone can see you, change the rules so everyone's got to be on the line of scrimmage. You got seven man down, no illegal formations. It's not fair. It's not right. And I think the referees need to do something about it. But, yeah, that was, that was egregious last night. Um, and not only that, there's, 
there's a lot of times where he's jumping before the ball snapped and there are a handful of false starts. And then they finally just, they stopped biting their whistle and they blew it at the worst possible time on like a fourth and 20 or I think that was the situation uh, at the end of the game before the fourth and 25. So, um, I, I think that that was pretty bad last night, but defensive linemen, we're, we're a persecuted class, you know. <laughs> it's just not fair. It's not fair what these offensive linemen get to get away with in the name of points and protecting quarterbacks. So I think we need to change the rules, get them on the line of scrimmage, and no pretending that you're about to, uh, you know, go out for a route based on your, your pre-snap positioning. Okay, Charles, coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, now I'm I'm leaving early because I've got a flight to catch. That's neither here nor there. But So I have to let these guys know. They're going to preview and predict the all of the awards for the NFL season. Okay, Now I'm going to tip my hand and just go ahead and divulge one of them that I'm going to predict for this year because I want you, Charles McDonald, to um, in fact confirm that there is this is the biggest no-brainer in the history of no-brainers. Are you ready? Yeah. Assuming that Assuming that you know there is not an injury, and by that I mean a knee or a hamstring or something that keeps him out, D- regardless of his level of play, so long as he regularly appears in games, they have already etched the trophy for comeback player of the year for Demar Hamlin. Oh. Correct? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Excuse me. Like we shouldn't even have that one on the on the in the docket, right? Dude, no. I, I saw something yesterday where he's like minus 350 on some odds to win comeback player of the year. <laughs> minus 350, like before the season even starts? That, that's set in stone. And, and this, was, this was written when the Buffalo Bills training staff got an MVP vote this year from some writer. You know, I, it, it's just it, it's too important of a story. We'll get back to your reg- regularly scheduled comeback player of the year. No uh, question. Next year. No. We but, should actually but, uh, put it for honestly, who's the runner up. That's what we should predict. Who's the runner up, right? Oh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I can't even like think of someone who who will come in a close second. But honestly, my my brain as a as a very tired Falcons fan, I thought you were to go with the Bijan Robinson offensive rookie of the year is a no brainer. But Demar Hamlin comeback player is nice too. You know, I'm not going to lie to you, Charles. You might be, and this is the first time I believe that the two of us have talked. But but when you when you come on this program, you're automatically a friend, right? So like I can say like a yeah. buddy of mine. So when, so now I can say to people when I'm on the plane today, you know, I met a buddy of mine in Brooklyn today, the first Atlanta <laughs> Falcons fan I've ever met. Actually, I take it back. Zach Osterman Osterman for the Indy Star grew up in the Atlanta area. Oh, and likes that's the my Falcons. guy. That's my guy. <laughs> yeah, he likes the Falcons too. So you guys, I guess, have that in common. But. Um, what I asked this question on Twitter earlier today, or, or earlier this week, I should say, and people got upset because I didn't include the baseball teams. For which NFL franchise do you most associate Deion Sanders? Um, I mean, flip a coin between Dallas and Atlanta for me. Yeah, to me, it's Atlanta because the because he was doing the stuff with the Braves too, you know. That and uh, Charles, this shows how old I am. But like, I go back to like he brought a swagger to the Falcons, the Dirty Birds, kind of before the, before they were the Dirty Birds. But like, you mm-hmm. know, the too legit to quit and Jerry Glanville and Andre Risen and just the overall like swagger of the Falcons was epicentered and started by Deion Sanders, and that it just became larger than life, and that put the Falcons on the map to a lot of people yeah. who like had forgotten about Steve Bartkowski and Gerald Riggs. It was fun. You know, it, it was it, it was fun. It was swaggerful. It was fun until you know a game I'm about to say. And that everything changed then. It hasn't been the same since. Seven years now we're coming up and it still hasn't felt the same. But now I'm still here. 
the Panthers are probably going to beat the Falcons week one because, you know, there's insurmountable odds placed against Bryce Young with not only the, the record of number one overall picks in the first game, but also some injury at wide receivers. But the Falcons, that's what we do. We we lose in the worst possible ways. We're statistical anomalies. So I'm on the now, week now, against the Packers. Listen, Charles, I want to let you know, they originally asked – if you if I was okay with you coming on in the two o'clock hour, and you would think that I would say no because I'm not going to be here in the two o'clock hour because of the aforementioned flight, but you know why I said not to have you on in the two o'clock hour? I just why? want to let you know because if you were on here at two thirty two, then I would actually have to say it's twenty eight to three. Uh, oh, man. So uh, you know, I have a heart, good. right? That was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> he made me wear a lion's hat today. If it's any consolation, <laughs> I, for I you. have a heart. So, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, my 20th birthday was not a good one for me. I can tell you guys that. <laughs> hey, at least you you're probably too young then to remember when Morton Anderson missed it to go to the Super Bowl. So it's all relative, right? Yeah, I mean, I see, I've seen it clear. My cousins talk about it, but yeah, I'm a little too young for that one. The pride of Ben Davis, Jimmy. Charles, with <laughs> with Sunday Ticket in full fledge from a sponsorship standpoint from YouTube TV, I know it's not any different really than it was a year ago or in its previous instances, but I want to kind of borrow what the NBA does with League Pass. If there was like a League Pass watch or a League Pass alert, or in this case a Sunday Ticket alert, you can only have four games on your slate from this weekend slate, what are those four? Well, obviously, Atlanta, Carolina, because I'm an addict that needs help. <laughs> um, Dallas versus the Giants, because you know, I covered the Giants for a while. I'll go Buffalo versus the Jets, because, again, I, went, I was at Jets camp in August. Um, there's a lot of hype around that team. Definitely want to see Aaron Rodgers. And honestly, I'm more intrigued by the Jets' defensive line. And for my fourth one, I'll go Dolphins-Chargers. I think that's going to be a fun game. The Chargers, they were kind of like the first team to start slowing down that offense last year, so it'll be interesting to see what the counterpunches that McDaniel has developed since that late season matchup last season. Is Daniel Jones good? Do we know yet? Do we have uh, enough evidence to say, in fact, he's good? He's good enough. That's how I feel. I don't think uh, yeah. he's like, you know, and I think the contract kind of reflects it, right? It wasn't one of these albatross deals. It was like, all right, you're a capable starter. We'll lock you in at a rate that allows us to keep some quality quarterback play while also be able to build up a team around you. So, um, and which is crazy to say because we were talking about before, but a $40 million quarterback is like, eh, whatever. That's, that's like above average starting money now, and I think that that's how I feel about Daniel Jones. He's good enough. It, it, it's, a, it's a weird situation where you, you, you could definitely do better, but also letting him walk hurt. So you kind of end up with the, the four-year $160 million bargain. Are you surrounded more by uh, Knicks or Nets fans? Uh, Knicks. Knicks, for okay. sure. Uh, are you surrounded more by, I, I know the answer to some of these, Giants or Jets? Jets. Jets fans. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I know I know way more Jets fans. Rangers or Islanders? Rangers, yeah. And you, this one I think is pretty obvious. Although, the, where you live might factor this a little bit. Yankees, Mets. Um, I definitely see more Yankees fans, but I'm more in touch with Mets fans because the Braves have a nice little quote-unquote rivalry where they're going on and just beating the hell out of them every time they play each other. <laughs> and Mets fans are so salty about it. So that's what kind of keeps me going. I, I've always felt in New York, it basically, they all rhyme, right? So the, the fan bases are Mets, Jets, Nets, yes. Islanders, right? That like That's the four that you would have typically unless you yeah. are like more of an elitist and then you're Giants, Yankees, Knicks, Rangers, right? Correct, yeah. That would lead me more. I like the Islanders. I don't know anything about them, but I just like their colors. Islanders are cool. Long Island's cool. I've never seen an Islands game before. 
you, we have that in common, right? But but I like their colors. And, you and, like them, yeah. yeah. I just like them. The Islanders are cool. Charles, appreciate the time as always. We'd like to have you back in the company sometime over the course of the season if we could. Yeah, you, gotta, you know how to find me. Good talk to you guys. All right, likewise, Charles McDonald again uh, with Yahoo, of course, longtime NFL writer. I, the only New York question we didn't ask him, because I, I don't know, maybe he is a tennis guy, maybe he's not, but the U.S. Open vibe, like how really prevalent it is, and would he go if he was given the opportunity? I would love that's That is a bucket list thing for me to go to the U.S. Yeah. Open. I think it would be I, – I have said before, Jimmy, on many occasions – the U.S. Open, and by the way, Ben Shelton, who is in the U.S. Open yeah. semifinal, taking on Djokovic, uh, he is the nephew of the Witzkins, Todd and Rick Witzkin, who were fabulous tennis players in my um, coming-of-age era when I was at North Central. They were at Carmel. Um, Rick Witzkin, Todd Witzkin went under the tour. Rick Witzkin played at Alabama. Um, both really good guys. Ben Shelton is their nephew, I believe. So kind of a local tie-in there for a kid taking on Djokovic. But I ever watched him play, by the way? Shelton himself, yes, uh, not in person. He is—he's a lefty, and he's got some heat. I mean, the dude can serve. He's—he's he's got one of the best, I think, first serves in terms of miles per hour. I mean, he gets it up there, and he's like—he's a young, energetic guy who plays with a lot of fire. I think it'll be fun watching him take on Djokovic. If you have never seen high-level tennis up close, it's amazing. I mean, it truly is amazing. Like the just the. It's a very like it's a constant to me. It's like a roller coaster ride. It's just you're constantly nervous for like the just the momentum of of both people playing, and the the reaction time is absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, for me, I always check out the finals. Like I'm always big in majors, but no, I've I've never seen that high level of the sport in person. But like you, it is definitely a bucket list item for me. Oh, it'd be unbelievable. Now. Um, fairly pricey i think uh, we'll have to rely on eddie as the ceo of the company to help us out with tickets can you do that eddie i will try my best do we have a finance office yet so we can expense it well this is after eddie has to get his specially made eight and five eighths u.s open hat that, <laughs> yep. he's gonna, that, yep. he's, that he's gonna have right yeah that's that's right um kevin bowen gonna be uh joining at two o'clock and we will give out you guys agree with the demar hamlin thing right yeah all right we'll give the yeah. rest of the answers coming up here in a bit you know, one of the things we have not talked a lot about, because we've talked so much about the Chiefs and the Lions from last night, understandably so, it's a great game. Uh, I will give full credit to Jimmy for putting on the Lions hat that I brought in. Uh, Dr. Botman did send me last night a text uh, right as the game ended that simply had a, it was a, is it a GIF or a GIF? I go GIF, but I've been told I'm wrong. Now, what's the difference between a GIF and a meme? Uh, memes are traditionally a still photo with a caption on top of it, and a GIF is a moving picture. Okay. That's how I always identify. Eddie, do you disagree? Do you agree? Is well, I wouldn't fair? say it's a moving picture, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it's a... Usually well, GIFs are like a... it's not a moving a, picture, what's the difference, Eddie? <laughs> well, some, uh, I'm trying to look at the meaning of what GIF is. Does, Hold on. Does, does a caption automatically transition it from a GIF GIF to a meme, regardless of motion or still? <laughs> do we know? No, we don't no. know. A GIF, I mean, it supports both animated and static images. So I guess, Jimmy, you're right. C- yeah. Can we get... Uh, I know that hurts you a lot. So to say we'll, that. Have, a, we'll have a social media tech department as part of the company, right? Isn't that an area that we have yet to hire anybody? Correct. Yeah. We haven't hired anyone. <laughs> okay. Um, so it was a, a GIF GIF meme. Uh, 
that Dr. Mottman sent me last night of simply two hands, uh, it was illustrated, toasting two cans of Pabst Blue Ribbon, which was his way of saying it's well deserved. He cashed in. But we haven't talked about some of the other games that are of interest and intrigue to you from around the league. Obviously, the Colts and Jags we've talked a lot about. That goes without saying. Um, What other games jump out at you on the schedule that you think are of interest? Charles mentioned one of them, Miami and the Chargers. I think it's going to be a fun one. Anytime you have an opportunity to see Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell as two of the best receivers in the league, be a part of an offense it's going to be fun and then with the chargers this is supposed to be well every year is supposed to be their year but you just paid herbert and you're hoping this is another step forward for them i think that's an explosive affair other one that jumps out at me cincinnati and cleveland i get it maybe on hand the initial reaction is oh it's the browns the Bengals are probably going to roll them well they spent a lot of money and assets to go get to sean watson and things went about as bad as you would expect looking like a guy that had not played football in over a year last season you hope if you're Cleveland, it's a bounce back for him, and that's a fun little battle for the state of Ohio. So those are just two off the top for me. Of course, fantasy implications get involved as well. Justin Jefferson's always a fun player to watch. Minnesota and Tampa Bay in the 1 o'clock window. Those are just three for me. What about you? Anything a- jump Eddie, out for are you? are you launching rockets again over there? What's going on? I don't know. I think I'm about to take flight to Baltimore where we're <laughs> expanding our office. <laughs> What's going on with the computer over there? The no he's, he's actually in contact with your flight right now. I guess. It was <laughs> a live phone call from the tarmac. Like connecting flights, apparently. Indianapolis International. Um, here are games to me that are of interest. One of them, on the surface, you're going to say, why would anybody care about that game? But when you look at the Rams and the Seahawks. Why would anybody care about that game? Thank you. Mm-hmm. The Rams last year were really bad. Seahawks last year, surprisingly, pretty good. Were the Rams as bad last year as... Are the Rams as bad as they were last year? Or was that just one of those years, nothing went their way, injuries, guys were out, you know, Stafford, etc. And were the Seahawks really that good? I'll go short for him here because I know Eddie has more passion views on the Rams than I do. I don't think they're going to be as bad as they were last year. But why? a lot. Right? Wait, can I get there? Please? I'm just asking you why. Okay. Well, the first reason is a healthy Aaron Donald, right? That's off the bat. Doesn't matter. All right. Well, I mean, arguably one of the best defensive players in the league when healthy, but yeah, sure. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, but the other half to that equation for me was Cooper Cup, and he's hurt again. So I'm not as bullish on the Rams as I was before the Cooper Cup injury. I do think they're going to be better than last year, but in the end, it's not going to matter. It's not going to be better like to the level that they were two years ago when they were a front runner to win the Super Bowl and ended up doing so. But Eddie has more, like I said, pessimistic views, and I don't think he's as off base he was now that Cooper Cup's health is in doubt. Literally, Aaron Donald is the only name on that defense. This roster for the Rams is horrible. It's god-awful. It's one of the <laughs> well, worst. They, they, yeah, because they traded every draft pick in order to win a Super Bowl. Correct. And they've lost everyone that from that Super Bowl team. The only name stays left are Stafford, Akers, Cup, Van Jefferson, Tyler Higby, and the only Aaron names left precedes the name like five all players. Yeah, but those are the those are the only players that anyone can name. You know what I mean? But like, yes, that, that roster is just so weak in that terms Bulls of talent. Team is terrible. The only people left are Jordan <laughs> Pippen, Horace Grant, Kukoc, and Kerr. They're gonna be they're gonna be just as bad. That's I mean that's and the offensive okay, line what about is Seattle? horrible. I think Seattle's good. I really like Seattle. I do. I think Geno Smith finally broke out. 
and well, he's, he's like got, Geno Smith's like two years younger than I am. I know. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It, it, like, here's plus my, Pete Carroll's a really good coach. I think he. I'm not going to argue that. Here's my issue with both Seattle and L.A. And like, yes, do I think that Seattle is a one-trick pony? I mean, much like Brock Purdy, and I don't know if this is fair or not. I need to see it in back-to-back seasons from Geno Smith. I do before I'm willing to say, yeah, the Seattle's kind of back and they have weathered the storm post. Did you Russell say weathered Wilson. the storm? Weather the storm? Weather? You said wetted the storm. I mean, like uh, that gal on the Delta Airline flight that was going to Australia <laughs> that wetted the entire aisle and they had to turn it around after two hours. If you were on that flight and they said, uh, sorry, somebody had, um, uh, we have a biohazard, somebody, yeah. I think everybody knows what happened. Somebody had some bowel issues. If you're two hours into a six hour flight, yeah. And they say, they said, we're going to take a vote. You can either turn around and we're going to fly two hours back to the airport, land, clean the plane for five hours, go back up in the air and then take off. Or you can just gut out the extra two hours it's going to take to get to the destination. Which would you vote for? I would only gut it out if they were dropping the oxygen masks for the duration of the flight. Because I imagine the smell would have been... But you're already on it for two more hours. So, in other words, you leave at noon. Yeah. And you're expecting to get somewhere at six. Sure. Okay. At two, <laughs> at two o'clock, <laughs> this woman has the, the unfortunate bowel biohazard. And for those that are unfamiliar, I don't need to say anymore. Let's just say that she was trying to get to the back of the plane to the restroom and lost control as she worked her way the down the line. The gain was to five, and she only got she she, yeah, she, yeah. she came up she, short. She she left the trail. Okay, <laughs> only got Fine. to the clean up on aisle four. Clean up in the entire aisle, yes. two yards short. So, all of that said. They then say, it's folks, uh, folks, your uh, captain speaking here, uh, 22,000 feet, uh, pretty smooth flight, except for the uh, biohazard that's been created in the aisle. So when that happens, they then say, okay, it's two o'clock. You're supposed to get to your destination at six. You can either turn around, we'll go back, we'll land at four, we'll clean the plane until five, and then you're going to get to your destination at 11. Or you can just say, you know what? It's already 2 o'clock. We've only got four hours left. <laughs> so let's just plug through, right? I'm going to go watch Contagion and hope Actually, you wouldn't even... I take that back. You would have landed at 4 because you got the two hours to go back. Land at 4, five hours clean, 9. Now you're getting there at 3 in the morning. So the difference between... So which one would you go with? I imagine the smell would be too bad, Jake. I, I think I'd have to go back and, and burn the plane and then get me a new one. I'm going back. Now here's the other thing. So you, so you get off the plane, this lady goes and apparently goes to a laundry mat or something, I don't know, and then takes a Pepto and gets back on the plane. She got back on the flight. Once you know who it is, is it, what do you, when you're sitting in 18F and you're getting your belt and you're sitting next to the person next to you and you're like, oh, you know, hey, now who gets the armrest and you're figuring all that out. And then you see this woman getting back on the plane. Is there not a complete at that point total? Like, where's the solidarity of these passengers? I have the solution. Pull the money of the passengers that aren't the lady. Whatever, however much you want to do. Let's say they come up with, this is probably ridiculous. Say they come up with a grand. Okay the toilet is no longer accessible throughout the flight she's there give her the give her the seat in the toilet don't chance it yeah that's probably fair i mean I, you feel bad for her honestly oh, yeah. kidding aside you feel bad for her it's like i think it'd be anybody's worst nightmare in any walk of life 
air travel that, alone that is, is the, terrifying. Indeed, that, but in that the is the walk of shame. Like, that is absolutely the walk of shame. It doesn't matter yes. where it happens. Supermarket, like just at a park, anywhere out in public. The idea of that happening, I think, is a lot of people's well, worst Well, and, and then we'll move on, I promise, because this isn't necessarily great radio conversation. But I will say this. There is a strange phenomenon that the stomach knows with the stomach and the eye are connected and when and when the when the toilet gets into vision range you're in trouble yeah you know what i mean yes like at that point you're in some serious trouble it's like your tracking system if you're um in a plane. It, it is that <laughs> uh, okay packers bears is this of intrigue because of the fact that you have one team whose quarterback you think is ready to take another step and another team who you have no idea who their quarterback is like one of those two teams probably is going to have a decent year. Which one's it going to be? Eddie, you're a fan of, of <laughs> Eddie. You go first because I I still don't know. You're, I, you're on board with the Packers, right? He's on board with love. I he's on like board the love. love train. Yeah, I'm a big Jordan Love guy. I think he sat enough behind Rodgers to learn. I think. I think. But how do you know he wasn't sitting just because he sucks? Because I mean, <laughs> you're going to bench Aaron Rodgers for Jordan Love. No, correct. But I mean, even in late game situations, things like that. I mean, he didn't. I understand, but i I think there's a I think there's a conversation to be had about Lafleur as a head coach that doesn't get talked about enough of him being one of the better offensive minded and head co- better head coaches in the NFL, and I think he is going to put Jordan Love in positions to succeed weekly, gamely, and I think I think that running game with Aaron Jones and AJ uh, Dillon will help with uh, the mobility of Jordan Love. Um, so I would probably lean Packers here because I think they have a substantial amount of more talent on their defense. Okay, if you had a list of every starting quarterback in the National Football League week one of the 2023 season, you go to, insert it, you just, we'll just say a random airport, mm-hmm. Chicago O'Hare, so there's people milling around from all over. You stop 100 people with a list of every starting quarterback in the 2023 NFL season coming up in week one, and you say... Circle any name that you've never heard of before. What quarterback gets the highest number of circles? Ooh. Um, Desmond Ritter. Ooh. Probably top three. I, I don't disagree. I had, I had a list in front of me earlier. Hold on. Um, it's terrible. Uh, Joshua Dobbs. He's filling in for Kyler Murray for the Cardinals. Okay. That, yeah. that probably is your winner then, yeah. I guess of... Of of no like of primary of intended to be Sam the Howell. legit organic starter Sam Howell who I think it is yeah I think it's Sam Howell right now there was one random year where Boston College no I'm sorry North Carolina State North Carolina State one year had four starting quarterbacks in week one I think it was um is there any unit what school is the most represented amongst starting quarterbacks coming up on Sunday uh Clemson Clemson yeah. Right, right. They got two, right? Uh huh. California's got two. Alabama's got two. Yeah, Alabama's got two. Um, don't you like it when I throw these things at you like yes. completely? Now we have to with no preparation. Ponder, reevaluate. Yeah, I think so. It's a three by tie for two. I don't think anybody's going to pass that, right? I don't think. Wait, Oklahoma. They've got two. Who are Oklahoma? Well, well, are you Kyler of- if he was healthy? That's where I was going with that. Baker. Wait, hold on. Um, Oklahoma then technically could have three, right? For Alabama, you're counting who? Alabama, Bryce Young and Mac, uh, Mac Jones. Okay, then what about Jalen Hurts? Oh, Finished I at Oklahoma, Oklahoma but started at Alabama, right? I go with Which, Oklahoma because that's where he finished career. Because okay. it's not about how you started to finish. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So <laughs> then, yep. I mean, if Kyler was healthy, then you're looking at three. Yeah. Fair enough. 
But Sam Howell, I think, is the one that, that – I mean, it's just completely random. But I do think Washington's intriguing. I mean, you heard Charles say it, that he thinks Washington's a team that, that you kind of keep an eye on. And they may be – because I haven't heard anything about – you know, Terry McLaurin, the, the Cathedral product, is a, is a great player. I mean, they have some weapons in Washington. And I don't think Howell's terrible. I think he's game manager type quarterback. Question is, do they have the talent around him to be game manager? Alabama's got three. Forgot about two. Yeah, I was going to say, did you say two? You said two, didn't you? No. Okay. So, give me, so give me the three again. Tua, Mac Jones, and who? Tua, Mac Jones, Bryce Young, um, Bryce Young. Okay. Yes. Jalen Hurts. If you counted, <laughs> did not finish. Didn't finish there though. Darn it! It's about how you finish. See, this is the kind of thing we probably should have talked about beforehand, right? And that's why they keep telling us about a Google Doc. We've got tickets to give away, by the way. The TireRack.com Battle on the Bricks. That's the IMSA Battle on the Bricks. This is out at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. IMSA's return to the racing capital of the world. And we have tickets to give away for the 17th, which my math tells me is actually, what, the uh, a week from Sunday? One week from Sunday for the championship. That is race day for IMSA. Again, tickets available at IMS.com. But if you want tickets for the all-day, and you're talking about seeing Porsche, you're talking about seeing Lamborghini, um, obviously all the IMSA sports cars out on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Fabulous racing action taking place, and it's going to be the weather. will be perfect. On Sunday, September 17th, we got a pair of tickets to give away. We will do it. Eddie, what number would you like? Let's do... Two for the number of days the company has been open. <laughs> We're in day two of the company, right? Yes, sir. You're really enjoying your CEO title, aren't I you? I am indeed. Yeah, I, I'm telling you. Look, Eddie, you and I have known each other basically because you've run the board for a couple of different shows that I've done and produced and helped out in editing and things like that, right? Um, and I, maybe it's just me. It's probably just me. But I've never seen this glow from you before. No, I, I can back it's, it up it's... for you. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie's probably my, my closest coworker and closest friend through my time here with the company, uh, the actual company, not our company. There's a certain just level of energy that's been unlocked in him since he's been given these powers <laughs> yeah. with the company. Right. Now that he's the CEO of the company, it's like <laughs> the guy's been completely, I don't even know if I'd say revigorated, just vigorated, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> and last night, and this is what I do. I'm like Chuck Woolery. I'm helping people make a love connection. Last night, it was because of me, Eddie, that you got to know more of the background information of your significant <laughs> sure. other, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you found out where she went to elementary school, found out where she lived. Well. See, I knew the kind of the areas in which she lived, and I knew where she, like the school system. Now, I just I'm a little concerned, though, because know. she lived in a different house every grade, and then I wondered, like, what's going on there? Uh, that's a conversation that doesn't need to be had over the airwaves. Fair enough. You know, buddy, buddy Holly, if you ever go to Lubbock, Texas, and you ask somebody about Buddy Holly, and you say, where's Buddy Holly's childhood home? Buddy Holly in Lubbock, Texas, his father actually was a house flipper back kind of before it was in vogue. And so each year in August, his father would buy a new home and spend that entire school year renovating the home while the kids were in school. And then at the end of the year, he would sell that house and they'd move into another one in the fall, rinse and repeat. And so Buddy Holly actually, between kindergarten and his senior year in high school, uh, lived in like 13 different homes. They're known as the Buddy Holly homes around the Levick area. More information than you needed to. I know you like to preface it with 1-800-9-WITH-IT, so I'll do that. 1-800-9-WITH-IT. But we discussed it earlier in the week in terms of who could lead the Colts in rushing yards. Jake, over, under, 45.5 total rushing yards for Anthony Richardson. Over. He's going to have 54 rushing yards. Okay. Who wins the race tomorrow or on Sunday? Boy, that's a really good question. Um 
Got to remember, Pelot won that race last year by like 30 seconds. Scott Dixon. So, Pelot's already won the championship, though. So you're going to say that power streak of, I don't know what the number is, of winning a race is over? Yes. Are you going to bring Eddie something back? Yeah, uh, shrimp chips. Yeah, Jimmy, come on now. Actually, I'm going to stop at Meyer on the way here. What, what do you want? What do you want from Monterey, California? I want these shrimp chips that you keep hyping up. I can get those at Meyer. Anything else? I don't know what I don't know what's in Monterey, so I can't give the CEO a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll go to Napa and get you a bottle of wine. Are you a wine drinker, Eddie? Nope. Okay. Well, I try. Well, get him some grapes then. <laughs> I'll do what I can. But you guys will carry it home here for the last hour, right? And I will let you know my picks try. for the awards. Companies in good hands. All right. Much appreciated. Um, I'll be back on Monday. These guys will obviously carry you home for the next hour. Kevin Bowen up next. Just company for the final hour of a Blue Friday. Jimmy Cook coming to you from the DriveViewer.com studios. Our owner took a half day, Jimmy. He did. Took some PTO He has the perks. He has the perks. His name is on the wall. We understand that. Has a little bit of perks. All jokes aside, though, Jake Query on his way to the airport covering the IndyCar season finale. He's missing out, though, because we have saved some of our best guests for last in the final of this Friday edition of Query and Company. Do we have to give Kevin a, uh, a spot? We position? do. With that, that's where we need to start the See, conversation. You're president and I'm CEO. I feel like we should be able to let Kevin decide. I right? agree. But before we give Kevin that option, I want to acknowledge one thing, Eddie, that's happened right now. This is officially the return the reunion, but in this case, in prime time of two o'clock. That's right. I'm making that prime time now because we were getting up at five in the morning previously for that. The way too early pregame yes. show has officially taken over the state airwaves, yes. and we start it now with Kevin Bowen here on Query and Company. KB, you heard the prelude by one Eddie Garrison there. If you were to pick a spot within the company, what would be your ideal spot? Yeah, I heard you guys talking about this company. But did you plan this, by the way, for Jake to exit and me to enter here? Was this was this planned by Eddie Garrison cooking this up? I nope. think it's I think it's very cute that you of all people would think that we plan things on this show. Well, yeah, that is uh, touche. Well, I mean, Jake's gone, so I thought maybe there was some planning now uh, actually happening. He's avoiding uh, you. Happily, yeah, I'll, I'll happily take uh, like uh, intern, yeah, summer, fall intern. Can Man. I get like credit hours for this? Yeah, I will. I will happily just ride your guys' uh, coattails here with this company. That's very humble and kind of you, Eddie. Is pre- or a CEO? Do you approve of that? I, I give it a green stamp. See, here's that. here's the problem though. If we're doing just can a I, fall- like, plan the Christmas party, can I like Ooh. can I can I do that? See, here's the problem. If he was just a fall intern, that would mean we would have to get rid of him after the Colt season. That's the problem. Yeah. I don't want to get rid of KB. Well, I don't either. Can't you hire me full time after? The, isn't that how the internships usually work? Okay, so then, so then, what's your internship in? What area? What department? <laughs> we got to get these things well, hammered out, KB. You know, let's go with events. And I can plan, but let's throw a Thanksgiving party. Let's throw a Halloween party while we're at it. Event and coordinator. Let's make sure Got that, it. And if I know my bosses very well, I would say that PBR on tap would have to be an absolute <laughs> must. We, we, we get a PBR of, you uh, said, keg of PBR coming up here. Jake just had a birthday. We could you know, celebrate that again. Um, yeah, we have plenty of holiday. It's holiday season coming up here. I will give you just one warning on that. Uh, we don't have an HR department yet, so just proceed with caution. That's all I will. That's all I will say. Oh, We've yet to even better. Yet to figure that out. So, 
Amen to that. Colts fans hoping that it's going to be a party of some sort at Lucas Oil Stadium on Sunday. We, we know the number, Kevin. A decade going on without a season opening victory. Let's start at the apex. That streak ends because why? Well, I know we all picked the Jaguars, to be clear. You can go on 1075thefan.com. Yeah, yeah. The whole fan picked the Jags. But if you were to look in a crystal ball and see one scenario where the drought of season opening wins ends, it will be because this happened for the Colts. Yeah, I would say your defensive line dominates that matchup and dominates it from the sense of it's not just Trevor Lawrence's whatever. 58% and sacked three times and Travis Etienne's got 3.2 yards per carry that you're able to make some game-changing type of plays. You know, if you look at Detroit last night, obviously, and, you know, I'm sorry to bring it up, Jimmy, but that pick six totally, I think, changed, you know, the, the, the course of that game. So, like, those are the type of plays that I think you're going to have to do, set up some sort of easy points with that. And, and I think, on paper, your defensive line should have the ability to accomplish that. It's been something I've you know, brought up with Andy a lot in the mornings of, and when you look at Jacksonville, I think when you combine their score, their quarterback and their skilled players, it might be – I think you're making an argument outside of Cincinnati and probably Baltimore. It's the best group of offensive skill you'll see all season long um, when you, again, combine Lawrence with those running backs and, and wideouts and tight ends. So that obviously is not an ideal recipe, certainly not one for a very young and inexperienced secondary – so how do you combat that? Well, your defensive line, which is filled with money and filled with high draft picks, um, you've got to be able to win that. And, and you know, Jacksonville is dealing with a backup offensive tackle and just some youth in some really key spots on, uh, on that offensive line. So I'll go there. It's your D-line um, shows up. It makes some game-changing plays. And, you know, sure, the easy answer would be Anthony Richardson looks like an MVP or something along those lines. But, you know, I'll try to be a little bit more realistic here and go to the D-line. Where is the line between feel-good vibes that Shaq Leonard is back versus excitement like this can change or or solidify things defensively, having his presence back there? Where's the fine line between feel-good vibes and, no, we have a difference maker back. This could perhaps turn the tide situationally in this matchup. Yeah, that's a good question, Jimmy. I, I would say probably feel good kind of exit as soon as he's announced during warm-ups. And not, now that I think about it, I assume they'll announce the offense to let Anthony Richardson and, and I guess let that crowd maybe show their appreciation for, for the drafting of Anthony Richardson. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's the harsh reality if you only get 17 of these. There's a the question of you know how many of them you know, Shaquille Leonard will even play in given its recent injury history. So, I guess, unfortunately, but, you know, welcome to life with professional sports. Welcome to life in the NFL. It, it does change from, you know, Hollywood to reality very, very quickly. And, you know, again, it's a storyline that we've talked about a lot this week. We played the audio from him yesterday. I just get the vibe that there's some skepticism within himself of where he's at. And it's understandable. And um, obviously he's dealt with a ton physically from nerve questions to multiple back surgeries to correct ankle pain, all of those things. But you do pay him, you know, 18, 19 million, whatever the exact number is for a reason. And 
you pay Zaire Franklin three or four million for a reason. You pay EJ Speed, you know, two or three million for a reason. Again, Shaq's gotta be gotta be, you know, infinitely better than those two to earn that money. And what that means obviously is he's taking the ball away at really a Hall of Fame level, which is what he did. You know, I think there's this perception in the NFL oftentimes that turnovers can be just luck. And it's really hard to, you know, replicate that season in, season out, unless you have just this kind of dominant edge rusher that whatever dials up eight, ten strip sacks a year. Well, what Leonard was doing is he was showing that it's not luck. Like, as an off-ball linebacker, whether it's interceptions or forced fumbles, both of areas, he was saying, you know, my presence lends to, you know, great playmaking on the defensive side of the ball. And, again, that's really hard to uh, – Sustain and just do kind of year in and year out. But now I think there's that question with him. There's that question with where he's at athletically, where he's at from an availability standpoint, and how much he can be that player we saw in 2019 or even two years ago in 2021 when he had all those forced fumbles in that season. So, yeah, I think the, uh, you know, maybe he gets a game or two just to, you know, try and knock off some of that game rust and he hasn't tackled anybody since last November. But very quickly, you start having. You, you have to start judging him on are you getting the return on investment? And if you're not, you got to have a pretty tough conversation at the end of the year. Kevin Bowen joins us. You hear him on the wake-up call with KB and Andy, 7 to 10 a.m. here on The Fan. Of course, Colts beat writer on 1075thefan.com. KB, when you look at both depth charts, I don't mean to be bleak here, but I, I think it's kind of the pulse of the fan base when you look at the Colts roster and say it, there's a lot of gross aspects of it. There's some positives, but there's some areas that need to be massively built upon in the Anthony Richardson era, assuming he is the face of the franchise that they hope he is. Long-winded way of saying, when you look at both depth charts, is there an area where, yes, the Colts have a better area on paper than the Jaguars do? You would hope your offensive line, certainly. I mean, again, just based off of resume, if if nothing else, you know, Jacksonville's left tackle, Cam Robinson, suspended through the first four games. I mean, there are certainly other guys in Brandon Sheriff and, and um, Harrison Kidd, the rookie first-round pick. I mean, they've invested, but, you know, there are guys up front that, you know, haven't recently been at whatever Pro Bowl, All-Pro type levels like there is with the Colts offensive line. Obviously, wouldn't say that based off last season, but there is whatever two, three years ago you can point to some of those individuals. So as you're squarely comparing, you know, one position to the next kind of side-by-side, side, offensive line would be that. I, I would think defensive line um, would be that as well. I mean, again, Trayvon Walker, what does he do in year two? I know it's a big storyline for Jacksonville. After being the top overall pick last year. Josh Allen, there is probably those questions like, he shows it in flashes. When does he become that dominant, dominant edge rusher as a, as a former high pick? Uh, I, I just can't say linebacker based off, again, how much time Leonard has missed and the questions that are there. So I would say if you're going to point to anything Colts-wise, it would be O-line and, and then maybe D-line, but certainly not in a skill group at all. And, and, and you couldn't say quarterback is based off of the inexperience with, uh, with Richardson. I know I'm kind of getting a little bit in the weeds here, Kev, but in terms of the secondary and particularly the cornerbacks – what do you envision from like a, a snap count or a split standpoint? Do you think it's constant movement to keep guys fresh, or do you think it is, it's is—it's pretty clear based on the depth chart where things will sit from a distribution of snap standpoint? 
Yeah, I think early on in the year, it's it's pretty clear to me. Um, I I don't even know if we'll see Nick Cross rotate in at safety. I know there were some questions about him and his, you know, what he showed in training camp in year two, et cetera, et cetera. Julian Blackman missed some time. Some people have wondered if he would rotate in. I assume it'll be Rodney Thomas at one safety and then Julian Blackman at that strong safety. And I would guess that is an every snap thing. I mean, we'll, we'll see if there's any sort of pitch count. And then a corner, um, I think it'll be the trio we saw really all throughout camp and even in the preseason. And that's Kenny Moore never coming off the field. And then Dallas Flowers and, and Daryl Baker Jr. as that second and third corner, both of them lining up on the outside. And, and that's probably where you have the biggest question. I mean, they're two undrafted guys from just last year. In Baker's case, he's never played a defensive snap in the NFL. You know, Flowers' his first defensive action in the NFL came in mid-December last year. So it's pretty rare to kind of see in today's NFL, I think a nickel group be made up of, you know, two-thirds of it having that much inexperience. But you know, Juju Brent struggled with availability for what it's worth. He was not in practice today due to personal reasons. But, you know, health-wise, that's been an issue for him here in his rookie season. Uh, you know, Darius Rush, of course, has moved on to Kansas City. I don't think Jalen Jones is to the point yet where they'd rotate him in. I, I really like what he showed in training camp, but I don't know. Gus Bradley still strikes as a guy that will kind of keep those top three guys, and then you, you'll see kind of how they react week in and week out. But I would say early on, um, I don't expect a whole lot of rotation within a game. KB, for me, when I look at the drought of – 10 years without a season opening win it feels like because of how much turnover there's been in that span that it's just one of those random quirky stats that like okay like it's it's mounting yes but there's larger goals jobs will not be decided based on just winning the opener like it, it, you're gonna get a full body of work of the course of this season does it feel that way to you though that it's just a weird quirky stat or do you think there, there's a I mean, obviously, there's with the fan base, but is there a sense of, man, let's just get this done with and finally stop talking about it? Yeah, I, I, it's always been an interesting, like, dilemma for me, Jimmy, and, like, trying to assess that. You know, part of me just chalks it up as, like, weird quirkiness, and maybe I'm dating back a little bit more to the Pagano side of it, because obviously, in those Pagano years, they lost openers in, you know, 14, 15, and 16. And in 14's case, they, you know, they went on to win whatever, they were 11-5 and five that year and, and made the run of the AFC title game. But, uh, you know, as you transfer from that Grigson Pagano era to the you know, Ballard-Reich era, it, I don't have it in front of me, Jimmy, but I think in the month of September in the Ballard era, I want to say they're 27th or 28th in record. And, again, that's the month of September. So I try to, you know, bring it out a little bit more after the opener. Get into week two, get into week three. Hell, probably some years you, you you even maybe play a fourth game in September. And if you pull it out a little bit more, I mean, all of a sudden, it's not like you're improving that that much. And there's been plenty of years where they started out 0 and 2 or 1 and 2. Um, it's not like the flip of a switch. All of a sudden, you know, it's just a fluke of a week one, and then boom, you win your next two, and you're back in a great position from there. And you know, obviously, you go to 2018, they started 1 and 5. So. To me, it is much more of a slow start to season thing than than just a week one problem. Um, and you know, then you get into okay, how are you preparing for the starts of seasons? You know, how do you handle training camp? How do you handle preseason playing time? You know, if you look at the three preseason games this year, Jimmy, the Colts played their starters. I think I counted it up 
15 total series. The offense with Richardson is out there for nine series. The defense is out there for about six series. And if you look at their opponents, granted, when you played your starters, it was Buffalo and Philly, two pretty established teams. Their starting units weren't out there at all. So, again, your starters out there for 15 series, and you play backups in all 15 of those series. So um, I do think it's a little bit more than a week one issue, uh, you know, trying to put your finger on it exactly. You know, obviously it's difficult, and it's clearly been difficult for the franchise to figure out. And there are all sorts of games in that opener. There are blowouts. There are big comebacks to make a tie. There are, you know, I remember the Detroit game with Matt Prater and Jim Caldwell and them kicking a late field goal in a, in a shootout. You had a wild game of Cincinnati in there, um, you know, uh, during the COVID year. Wasn't it Jacksonville's only win that season was beating you in the opener? So I, I do try to get away from the opener and think I think it's much more of a September issue than it is just, you know, nine straight season-opening losses or ties. Kevin Bowen with us. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. He does a wonderful job covering the Colts for us here on The Fan. You can hear him 7 to 10 a.m., the wake-up call with KB and Andy here on these very airwaves. Is the criticisms of the wide receiver room heading into the 2023 campaign overblown, or has it been as honest and clear-cut as it can be? Was Kadarius Tony throwing the game last night? Man, the 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 first drop, the, the drop that led to the pick six was just like, all right, that's unlucky. I said some choice words that, thankfully, yeah, my I wife was not around to hear uh, on the one that would have set them up in field goal range to probably ice that thing away. I, I don't know, Kev. That's one of those where you just surely – it feels like a weird feeling, but surely he can't be that bad. All year, right? Like, that's got to be the low point. He had the lowest PFF grade a wide receiver's had in five years. It's not not, not great vibes here right now. <laughs> no, sorry. I, I just I, I had to ask that. Somebody asked me earlier today, who who is better wideouts, the Chiefs or the Colts? I was trying to, trying to plead the fifth. Um, Here's my pushback, by the way. And this is – this will get – I'm sure the YouTube channel love this. I had forgotten the last time the Chiefs lost an opener. That was my vibes after last night, just to make that clear. It was 2015, by the way. So. I was going to say, we had that as a pop quiz question. I think it had been eight straight season opening wins for your Chiefs. Um, this is how I feel about the wideouts. I've always been a little bit higher on Michael Pittman than, than most. Um, I think Alec Pierce creates a decently high floor for himself because, Unlike most wideouts, if Pierce is to make an impact on a game, and we saw it last year, it's oftentimes, hell, I think we saw it against your Chiefs, Jimmy. It's like, you know, two catches for 48 yards. So it's, it's big plays. It's, it's a 30-yard catch. It's a you know, defensive pass interference penalty he draws. Obviously, you want more out of them. Um, but, you know, honestly, to me, it's like when Paris Campbell would have kind of duds of games, it'd be like two catches for 18 yards, whereas with Pierce – uh, you know, I think back to the Jacksonville game last year, the game that you won at home. You know, he ices that game with Matt Ryan. Uh, you know, I really like Josh Downs a lot. I think he's going to be uh, a pretty impactful player early on, and I think he's going to be important for Anthony Richardson and that, you know, Downs' strength is in the area of the field where Richardson struggles, and that's kind of that underneath accuracy. Uh, 
But if there is one injury to Pittman or Pierce, all of a sudden <laughs> I think they are in a world, a world of trouble. And I know a lot of people have made a lot out of this kind of, oh, fifth wide receiver and, and and this and that. I mean, you don't really use a fifth wide out on game day. Like, I don't know. If you look at the Lions, you know, how often did they use a fifth wide out last night? You saw so, it last night plenty from Kansas City, I'll say that, but that's because they were having tryouts effectively. Yeah, scramble yeah, mode. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it it doesn't. It's not like it's an anomaly, right? Thirty five snaps. Yeah. But the question becomes, and we actually asked Shane Steichen a couple of these questions today in the presser. If Pittman or Pierce goes down, the other wideouts you have, Josh Downs and Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, they're they're what five nine and five ten. Like they aren't outside six two six three wideouts that you want. You know, trying to beat man coverage and trying to make some plays on fifty fifty balls, and it's a third and fourth slant. And how competitive are you? Uh, against you know press coverage making that play, that's where I think you have major major questions. Having said all of that, it's still not you know anywhere near. I have to get above average wideout group, and it will continue to be a storyline as it's been for the umpteenth year in a row with with Chris Ballard, and and that's why I just think there's a lot on Anthony Richardson's plate right now. You're asking him to uplift one of the worst running back rooms in the NFL. I'd say one of the bottom quartile wide receiver rooms in the NFL and a very unproven tight end room. I think there's some intriguing bodies in that tight end room, but it's still extremely unproven. That's a lot. That's a lot to throw on a rookie's plate, particularly one with 13 career college starts. We have not talked about the rookie yet throughout this conversation outside of stuff in passing, of course, referring to Anthony Richardson. For his debut, what are you watching for the most just on his individual play and in that same aspect, where should expectations be for Colts fans in, in what I've been trying to preach as a enjoy it because it's a debut and it, it's not going to be boring. That doesn't mean it's going to be great. You might not leave Lucas Oil Stadium in a happy mood, but it's it's new and it's fresh. Yeah, I, I was talking about that today, kind of something similar. I think this is a very exciting time to be a Colts fan in that you're you're finally going down the right path. You are finally attempting to get modern at quarterback, um, to get what I think is needed and works. You know, I I mean, you look at that first touchdown drive last night by the Chiefs, I mean, how important were those two Mahomes scrambles to kind of set that up? Mm-hmm. And that is what a little bit of – you know, Richardson can give you some of that, obviously, from a throwing standpoint. It's totally different right now. But I just think that is vital um, to have at, at that position because opposing defenses can take away so much and things just naturally break down. Uh, I think what I'm looking for most with Richardson is, I guess, two things. One is, does the big play potential translate? Um, I think it will, but you just got to see it. You know, in the preseason, you would point to the ball to Pierce in that Buffalo game, which Pierce dropped, I mean, that would have been a huge play. You know, does that translate? Because I think it's unrealistic to ever expect Anthony Richardson to be a 68 70% passer. He's just not going to be that, which is is fine. But if he's not going to be that, he's got to have the big plays to offset the methodical, consistent passing game. So I think you want to see those flashes with his arm, with his legs, of course. And then you make sure that you just don't make bad plays worse. Um, we had Matt Taylor on with us earlier today, and, and Matt brought up, you know, how many times last season did the Colts get sacked and then all of a sudden a fumble happened as well? Like, it's okay to live and see another down. You know, the old adage of 
you know, try to end every drive with a kick. Obviously, you hope it's your field goal kicker or your place kicker doing that. But, you know, can you make sure that, you know, you are punting the ball and not turning the ball all, turning the ball over at such the alarming rate that you were last season? Uh, I brought up the baseball analogy quite often of, you know, make sure you're not having the backwards-looking Ks. Make sure you're at least putting the ball in play. It might still be an out, but, you know, do you at least survive and live to see – another down, live to see another series, don't have, and I know this wasn't on Mahomes last night, but don't have the back-breaking pick six like like you saw. Um, so I think those are things that you're going to be looking for. And and I know I'm getting into a little bit of a longer list, but I'm just fascinated, Jimmy, to see how he reacts to being an NFL quarterback. I mean, yeah. there's so much that comes with that. Uh, there's so much unscripted nature that comes with that. Uh Okay, Anthony Richardson, you know, this is no longer a red zone period, and then you're going to go watch the – special teams unit kicking around for 10 minutes and you're going to go talk with you know, Jim Bob Cooter and, and, you know, and your quarterback's coach on the sideline. Like, no, no, no. I mean, there are consequences for your actions now, good and bad. Um, how do you play with the lead? How do you play from behind? How do you handle a, you know, 45 second situation with one timeout and you need to get a field goal before halftime. Um, you're down a score lately. All of those things. Uh, really, really curious to see how he handles that. And more importantly, or maybe most importantly, there's going to be a welcome to the NFL moment at some point in time. How does he respond from that? Eddie's given me the rap sign, but he also regrettably put an idea in my head before the segment started. So we are going to go over here. Last question for you. Uh, Max Bowen, did he set the tone for a Jaguars win and take us through that process? Knowing we probably only have like a minute or two here of him making the helmet pick. Yeah, my, my nephew Teddy Lover has these mini NFL helmets. So um, I said, you know what, let, let's make some picks with Max this year. Let's see, you know, if he can put some money where his mouth is. And as Max turns one tomorrow, we got out the Jags helmet. We got out the Colts helmet. He crawled. Uh, it seemed like at times maybe the Ursa family, you know, the family might have been paying his sister to prop that Colts helmet a little bit closer to him. <laughs> but nonetheless, there was a late surge from Jacksonville. I thought he gronk spiked it. Some people are saying – <laughs> that he was throwing the Jacksonville helmet away to pick the Colts. But if you are going off of Max Bowen's pick, uh, Jags money line was what he said yesterday. So we need two Bowens to be wrong and the entire station to be wrong to end a 10-year drought. I think that's a yes. recipe for success in my mind. KV, have a great weekend. Enjoy it, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, have a great weekend, boys. Thank you. It's Kevin Bowen. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. Of course, 7 to 10 a.m., the wake-up call with KB and Andy every weekday here on The Fan. Went a little bit over there. We'll change lanes for just a second. One of our favorites, Tony East, joins us next. He'll recap Team USA's loss to Germany today in the FIBA World Cup semifinal, how Tyrese Halliburton worked. Plus, after that, bets. We're picking nearly everything this weekend in the NFL, plus Colts-Jags final predictions. Keep it right here on Querying Company. feel like a disc jockey now. Podcast audience can't hear it, but Secrets by The Weeknd. Off his album Starboy from 2016. It's a great song. Talking about, you know, necessarily being unfaithful or not, trying to keep secrets. You know, it's 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 a whole, whole thing. Great song, anyway. But uh, weird segue, I know, as we bring in no secrets lost necessarily with the FIBA World Cup. Definitely not for Magic Johnson. Not, it's not our next guest. That'd be something. I'm sorry I undersold our top billing here, but I wanted to ask our next guest, one Tony East, who deserves better billing than Magic Johnson. That's right. I said it. I'm not afraid. Uh, is there anything more on brand, Tony East, before we dive into the game uh, that took place earlier today than the following 
Magic Johnson tweet, just being pinnacle Magic Johnson tweet. Just watched the USA men's basketball team play Germany in the FIBA World Cup, and I was very disappointed we lost 113-111. Now, instead of playing for gold, we will play for bronze. I do not understand his Twitter account at all. <laughs> that is like, hashtag I, analysis. That's what it is. If I, did, if I didn't know it was actually him, I would have thought it was someone impersonating him. I I'm almost think that he knows about the bit now and just continues <laughs> to just be as, as, as Captain Obvious as possible on Twitter and still run the game because he's Magic Johnson and doesn't like magic, you know? If you, if you used an AI generator to like write a tweet like Magic Johnson would write a tweet, they would be exactly the same. There's I no way the there's point. not already an AI Magic account, like a <laughs> like a, a secondary troll account out there somewhere. Uh, his analysis segues to your analysis. 113-111, Team USA gets bounced by Germany. Do they not have high-quality cameras for the FIBA World Cup? I didn't like the score bug. I felt like I was I was miles away from the court. Like has 4K technology not yet reached uh, the pinnacle of what FIBA has to offer? I don't know much about the uh, the tech installations in uh, <laughs> Mall of Mall of America Arena or whatever it's called. I probably just got that wrong in the Philippines. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's more zoomed out. It's more jerky. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, I kind of like that though. Like I like when the games feel like not NBA because they're sure. so much different beyond the basketball. Like even the production is different. Take us through the loss. What stood out to you the most? I know like many situations when team USA has been down throughout this tournament, they're able to make it interesting and put up a bit of a fight to the point where you're like, yeah, they might be able to rally back and pull this off. But you stressed it on Twitter. This is a Germany team dating back to Eurobasket a year ago that very, very tough disciplined side they end up moving on. Why, in your mind, does Team USA go home outside of how Germany is constructed? Yeah, same thing that caused Team USA to lose on last Sunday to Lithuania, right? The same kind of blueprint is required to beat them. One is three-point shooting, right? Lithuania, that game, made their first nine. Today, Germany went 12 for 25. They were making the threes. Andreas uh, Opst was uh, was on fire, of all people. He actually dropped Tyrese Halbert with a beautiful fake late in the game that actually probably sealed it for Germany and rebounding rebounding has killed this team USA team. Jaron Jackson jr. Has been terrible on the boards. He's the starting center. He's had foul trouble. He's had rebounding problems. That's been a significant problem for this team. And so this Germany team that starts Pacer center, Daniel Tice and uh, this guy Voigtman, who's really tough down low as well. Like on the class, they're just better. They had 12 offensive rebounds. They won the second chance points by 17. That's exactly how team USA lost to Lithuania, the threes and the rebounding. And, they're so fast when they're at their best, this Team USA team is. Their three-point shooting is great. They shot well from three today, but when they're giving up all these extra possessions and their their efficiency advantage goes away, they're a lot more beatable, and their depth wasn't as valuable today. Going back to Magic for a second, but not the tweet, Magic <laughs> the player, uh, FIBA World Cup Twitter account a couple days ago highlighted a great performance by Tyrese Halliburton, 18 points, six from beyond the arc, four boards, five assists, three steals, one block. And they had the tweet as successor of iconic stars. Tyrese Halliburton takes over the point for Team USA. And they got some of the greats up there, right? Magic Johnson, Allen Iverson, Jason Kidd, uh, more modern names as well, Chris Paul, uh, Derek Rose, Kyrie Irving, like it, he is supposed to be the successor, at least from that tweet. I know it's probably a little too early in the process of Team USA to put that crown on him for, say, you know, the Olympics next year, but a lot to be happy with in terms of what he was able to display in the FIBA World Cup, correct? 
100%. If, this, if there's a stage to get your name out there beyond the NBA, this is it. And he was one of the best players. I mean, in terms of consistency, maybe the best for Team USA throughout this process. Anthony Edwards was probably the best player. Uh, but he even had some down performances in there. And, and everybody, even people texting me, not like in the league or anything, but people watching these texting me like, why isn't he playing more? Why isn't he starting all this stuff? Like, because he was playing that well. His passing was phenomenal. Even today, eight assists. In the loss, he was setting up his teammate. Steve Kerr turned to him. They were losing in the quarter. They need to shake things up. They put Halberton in with the starting five, right? He showed pretty unequivocally that he can play with stars. He can make other people better. And even like with the Pacers, he has to score. When he doesn't have to score, he can still be phenomenal and be a really high-impact player. Like there's that clip when Team USA is playing New Zealand and FIBA has these cameras right above teams for their timeouts for this tournament. And the New Zealand coach is stressing to his players so clearly, Halliburton's in, Halliburton's in. You have to be ready for these passes, these, those hit-aheads, the high-paced play. Right? He's becoming that kind of player, one that has a style that he's known for and can be a high-impact guy that they just have to pay attention to. And despite Team USA not coming home with the medal they're going to want, I think he himself had a good tournament and kind of put his name really on the global map. Is the footing there, I know it's so early and it's a whole process of – whittling down the roster and figuring out who's going to Paris next summer. But did he reach or have the proper footing to make the team next year? Maybe not, it's not as a starter, but like to be a part of that roster is the footing and the foundation there after this. I definitely think so. Right. He did the interview with the Olympic website and said, yeah, I want, I want to play in three Olympics in my career. And that's quite the lofty goal because that's 12 years from now. He'll be 35. So he'd have to start pretty soon on that. Um, But I think the thing that makes me the most confident he's got a shot to make it is that he fits really well in the way Steve Kerr likes to play. And Steve Kerr is still a coach of Team USA. So if they want to still have that, you know, quick ball movement, up-tempo kind of style, and they didn't, you know, in the last Olympics, yeah, they had a totally different team, but they had Greg Popovich as a coach. They didn't play that way. Like, that's when Team USA, that up-tempo style was at their best in this World Cup. Albert's great at it. So if they, especially if Steph plays for the first time and Kerr's the coach, like who better to emulate that off the bench than someone like Halliburton? So I, I am almost positive just given how he played and the fact that he's in the pipeline now, he'll get invited to be one of guys who can compete for a spot. Being one of the 12 is really hard, right? It, it's a very high honor, but he certainly kept himself in the mix with by being one of the best guys for this team. And they're not done. They still have one more game. I realize now that I just looked up the time for this game that it's a fool's errand because there's no way it's going to happen in any capacity, even if I asked you. And I'm still going to ask the question for you of, hey, why should somebody, because I'm certainly not. And by the way, my I'm certainly not was before I looked at the tip was at 430 on the first NFL Sunday of the year. So I know I've already put us into dangerous waters. There's a storm coming and, you know, it's, it's best to just abandon ship and hope for the best. But why should someone not named Tony East to have the clinical insanity to watch third place game USA Canada at 4:30 on the first week one NFL Sunday of the year. Yeah, for the first time in sports history, Jimmy Cook, the Eastern Time Zone of America is the worst place Awful. to be for, for a marquee sporting event. Horrible. 4:30 in the morning. That's when Germany's been playing a lot too. Because like at least in earlier rounds, they can kind of schedule the games based on when that country would have like their people awake to watch it, but it's the last round. So it's just third place game in the morning, finals a little later. So that's what we get at 4.30 a.m. Um, the, the pitch to me would be one that Team USA is really good and still fun to watch. They scored 111 points today. But the real pitch would be that there's, let me do some math, 20 NBA players in that game. 
Um, like it's basically an NBA all-star game. Not quite that level, but pretty close with the talent playing. Canada, I think, has eight, maybe seven. I should have that memorized. NBA guys playing for them. And locally, Purdue's Zach Eady is playing for Canada in the World Cup. They've been playing great. They clinched a spot in the Olympics as well. So perhaps a preview of what Team USA's full A squad could be going against next year uh, in Paris. And, of course, Team USA themselves has 12 NBA players. So uh, the talent level is going to be high. It's a nice North American rivalry. Uh, Despite the tip time, I think it will be quite a fun game if I can uh, stay awake for the whole thing. One of the things that Tyrese Halliburton has to work on, on, Tony, was his defense because you're expecting him to make a a leap as a leader this year for the Pacers and that's easily the biggest part of his game that needs to improve I thought in the FIBA games I thought he was really good on the defensive end how important was it for him to play at such a high level defensively uh, in FIBA yeah I thought he did well on the defensive end as well uh, especially on the ball earlier in the tournament you know people were talking a lot about what he was doing on the end of the floor today specifically he had his first kind of rougher defensive game like he was getting Germany's really good at setting screens he got swallowed up by a few of those that possession I talked about where he got dropped to the floor on a three was because he got swallowed by a screen and tried to recover too fast but in general I think he had a good defensive tournament and I'm higher on his defensive growth than some others just because guys who can read the game really well tend to be in the right place and understand what's about to happen or where they can be to help and I think Albert knows that he's got to be better on the end of the floor and he can be going into next season. And so part of it is just that I think he has the mental makeup to be a better defender. The other part of it is he's the best player on the team. Guys will follow his lead. And if he's busting his butt and playing hard on defense and making plays, other guys have to. They can't slouch. They have to follow their leader. That's something the Bucks have been very good at for forever. Giannis always is giving it his all on the defensive end, and that team's always great on defense. So not only is Halliburton's defensive improvement good for him and the team, it will kind of be contagious to me. So I think we've seen the first signs of what that could look like, especially on the ball in these international games. Now he's got to do it in the NBA where things are much more spread out and faster paced. Colts or Jags? Whew. I got to pick the Jags. I, can't, I, I don't think there's a way to pick the Colts in game one of a new era, right? Yeah, no, the entire fan picked the Jags. So, you know, you're not you're you're in good company in theory, I suppose. Tony, I appreciate you. And hey, listeners, at the very least, have an early, early breakfast. Catch the second half and start your <laughs> NFL Sunday with third place game Team USA and Canada starting it. at 430. Uh, get plenty of rest <laughs> this weekend, my friend. Good talking. Yeah, you too. Thank you. That is Tony East. Always good to have him on the program. Covers the Pacers as well as the Fever for SI.com. When we come back, Colts might have just broken a rule they hypothetically imposed earlier this week, but it's for a good reason. You're happy for the individual, but it is a rule broken all the same. We'll discuss that when we come back on The Fan.